I believe that life is a quest, and we're all heroes on a journey of self-discovery. I'm on a mission to explore my potential, optimize my mind, body, and lifestyle, and master the game of life. Join me as I seek out some of the best guides and mentors on the planet, and unpack their brains for the magical weapons and roadmaps needed to help you reach your potential. My name is Ollie Herman Taylor, and I am a torchbearer. Adam Reed, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really, really excited about this first first podcast I've ever done. So cool. Hopefully, it'll be uh, be worthwhile. What? So, what's your morning been like? How did the day start today? Well, I was I was hoping to get down here nice and early. Um, however, because of the holidays, coaches going on holidays, so on and so forth. Because I, I operate out of a gym, so I work there as well. Um, I had to cover a few PTs. They cancelled. I had a nutrition client as well um, from someone else covered, which uh, went really well. I just went on holiday and uh, was worried she was going to gain weight, gain some fat. But actually, she had a really good week of maintenance, which a lot of people kind of, I think, devalue as well. I think maintenance is is really, really important part of the process. Um, So, yeah, it's really good positive me. And then uh, drove down here. So, two-hour drive and it's been good. By by maintenance, you mean staying the same you mean like not, yes. not losing not losing yeah. fat but yeah. not gaining yeah so part of uh part of the program which i'm sure i'll come to later on that i i run is it's not just helping people lose weight but learn how to keep it off long term and is <laughs> is helping people to keep it off long term so educating them about not just losing weight or fat more importantly um but uh maintaining uh maintaining that weight loss or maintaining the the weight that they've achieved um, so yeah, so it's it's a long term kind of pro- process. Um, Adam, what did you have for breakfast? Yes, I don't normally have breakfast, uh, but this morning I made some. Uh, well, I made overnight oats last night. Um, there was a basically about half a like a, a mason jar full of oats, um, filled up with milk, left overnight, uh, topped up with uh, a couple of chopped walnuts, uh, a couple of chocolate chips. And then uh, mixed with some creatine and protein powder this morning. Uh, and that was it. Um, nice and filling, keep me full for, for quite a while. And I had to have the protein powder to add a bit of chocolate kind of flavour to it. So it's a bit tastier. Make it a bit uh, sweeter. Yeah, but I don't normally have breakfast um, or I don't really like having breakfast. Why? Well, well that's kind um, of weird. I thought, yeah, I, obviously I know this, but there are still yeah. some people out there who are under the impression that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Yeah. Do you, do you know do you know the origin or origins of breakfast where it originally came from kellogg's yes yeah do you know the story yeah i'm guessing you already know it anyway but um yeah so uh mr mr kellogg all them years ago he um developed this cereal because there was a concern about uh men masturbating um, <laughs> and basically this was supposedly a strategy to prevent men masturbating so he wanted to give them the, the gift of Kellogg's. So they, they produced this cereal. So, and eventually they actually came, they coined the term the most important meal of the day. And it's kind of gone from there. And this kind of fallacy has just grown legs. And obviously a lot of people now believe that breakfast is something you have to have. Personally, I don't like it. There's absolutely no reason why you have to have it. It's personal preference. If, if you feel it helps you to concentrate, if you feel you need it for energy levels, if you feel you need to have breakfast, then fine, have breakfast. But there's no reason why you need to. 
I've, I've got to hold my hand up. I knew about the Kellogg's origin, but I didn't know the masturbation mm. bit. Okay, so that, yeah. that's something new. So we've all learned something new now that yeah. <laughs> breakfast was originally uh, designed to help men avoid masturbation. Yeah. Okay, I know how I'd prefer to start the day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, okay, talking about this, this is yeah. a perfect time to leap into where I want to start this uh, this podcast, this interview, this conversation. Yeah. There are lots and lots of myths out there, yeah. okay? In the health and fitness industry, in the fat loss world, there are so many myths and kind of quick fixes and magic bullets. And I think it does a lot of damage to yeah. our industry. Yeah, massively. But also to people who want to actually get good results. So what in your mind are the three to five biggest myths I, out I, there? I wouldn't say the breakfast one is one of the biggest, but obviously that's a, that's, a, that's a myth straight away. And I think leading on from that, we can go into the myth about eating smaller, more frequent meals. So eating regularly as being a myth, because it's believed or it's put out there that if you eat more regularly, it's going to stoke your metabolism. Look, what people, I think, need to understand is what actually is your metabolism. So as you'll probably find listening to the podcast is I, you know, I have a teaching background and, you know, I'm all about education and helping people to understand because ultimately if, you know, if you understand things, then you can actually do something about them. You, you can kind of control where you go from there. So like metabolism is made up of or the the amount of calories you expend a day is made up of four different components so one is your basal metabolic rate there's not much you can do about that because it's how big you are it's to do with the size of your organs your muscle mass fat obviously if you're trying to lose weight that's going to come down because you're going to be a smaller person so you're going to need less calories the other three components are your thermic effect of food so in terms of how much um your metabolism metabolism is stoked by food is dependent on the amount of calories within that food. So you might have 2,000 calories a day, but split throughout six meals. You might have two meals a day, but that is still 2,000 calories. So depending on how much you eat will stoke your metabolism dependent on the amount of calories you intake. That's the thermic effect of food. Obviously, some foods have a slightly higher thermic effect. And by the way, there are no, maybe I'll go into this for the next one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll go into this for the next one, actually, something different. Um, okay. So basically, yeah, um, you eat as many meals as your preference. There is no, you have to have five, six meals a day, or you have to have one or two or fast. It's all down to personal preference. And this is and what's best for you. This is like a, a, a misconception. This is a myth, I think, that comes from probably the bodybuilding world. Yes. So it's like, yeah. you know, if you want to burn fat, but also if you want to build up lean muscle tissue, yeah. you need to be eating like the small, like three to five to yeah, six yeah. small meals a day. But when you, when you, if like, you're definitely right. I think this has come from the bodybuilding world. But part of that reason is that these guys are massive. You're, you're like, you look at Eddie Hall, like when he was in his heyday, he was needing about 7,000 calories a day. Imagine him trying to do that in three meals. Yeah. That's like two, two and a half thousand calories per meal. It's just, it's just, it just wouldn't be possible. Like he'd, he'd be sat there for hours trying to get through this massive mound of food. Whereas if he splits that into seven meals, seven much, much smaller meals, but then these magazines like Men's Health and so on and so forth, obviously, you know, there's great content and there's great stuff in there, but there's a lot of stuff that is kind of, yeah, questionable. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of context missing. They don't say, oh, by the way, this is Eddie Hall's diet. He's eating 7,000 calories a day. Um, because he's, you know, 120 kilos and he's got this massive amount of muscle to feed and he's trying to gain size. And this person that's, you know, about my size, maybe 70 to 80 kilos, that 
doesn't rec- doesn't train all day every day um is trying to copy this diet that's not you know it's just not and perhaps there are some um, performance enhancing aspects with some of those types of bodybuilder yeah Yeah. okay cool so myth number one is that Mm -hmm. you don't need to eat three three well sorry five five to six small meals per day um so i'll I'll go on from that one um in terms of no in fact i'm going to go to another one that i've i've encountered quite a lot recently um so the starvation mode myth um, okay. I find this one really, really frustrating. So, so what is what, what is the starvation mode myth? Okay, so a lot of people recently, I had a conversation with me, tell, they say to me, the words are, I don't eat enough. That's why I'm not losing weight. So the belief that if you're not consuming enough food, you will store fat. Um, that is an absolute fallacy. Um, first of all, go and Google the Minnesota starvation study straight away. So it's a study where basically people were starved. And over the course of the year, they ended up like a bag of bones. But even still, you don't even need to look at that. Look at, it's obviously, it's, it's a horrific thing to look at in terms of history. But look at people in concentration camps. They did not store fat. They were, they were being starved and none of them came out fatter than when they went in. Mm. Uh, look at things like I'm a celebrity. So if you, you know, if you're not even willing to kind of look at that, just watch what happens to the people. I'm, I'm a celebrity. They're being, they're technically being starved. They're, they're malnourished. They come out much smaller as people than what they go in. They're not storing fat. So yeah, starvation mode does not exist. However, there are things that people do need to be aware of. And in terms of long-term success, if you are trying to lose fat, I, I don't really like use the term weight because weight can consist of lots and lots of factors um but if you're trying to lose fat you need to be aware that there is a thing called metabolic adaptation so if you lose more than 10 percent of your body weight so let's say you're a you're a 100 kilo male and you lose 10 kilos or more um then potentially when you come down to that lower weight so 90 kilos below your metabolism when compared to someone else of the same height the same weight the same makeup, body composition as you, it's going to potentially be five to fifteen percent lower. So actually, your needs will be less than theirs. That doesn't mean there's starvation mode. It just means there has been some metabolic adaptation. The other thing people need to be aware of as well, if they're going on this journey of trying to lose weight, trying to lose fat, is that over a period of time, your body tries. Uh, I'm trying to explain it as simply as possible, tries to f- almost fight against that fat loss because we need fat. It's really important for so many like processes in the body to develop hormones and, and so on and so forth. For women, even more so, obviously for carrying babies and, and all the evolutionary reasons. So what happens is, is as your kind of fat cells, as they empty, as you lose fat, um, your body uh, manipulates ghrelin and leptin, which are the kind of hunger hormones. So as you lose more weight, your appetite becomes massively increased um, and that becomes worse and worse. The other thing you need to be aware of is the impact of fat loss and weight loss on your SNS and on uh, things like cortisol, um, because what that also then does is it reduces your energy levels. So it reduces your how much you want to move. And you can't really do much about NEAT. So I talked about metabolism being made up of these four different factors. One of them is your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, your NEAT, which is all the movements you do that are not exercise. So blinking, fidgeting, walking, standing, all of that stuff. And actually that plays the biggest role 
in trying to lose fat plays a much bigger role in terms of calorie expenditure than, than exercise does. Hey, hang on a second. Let yeah. me just let me just pause you there. Yeah. So NEAT. Okay. Yes. So this is really really interesting because a lot of people haven't heard of NEAT. This acronym. Mm. Just just tell us what it is again. What does it stand for? So it stands for non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Okay. So it's all the shit that you're doing that's not in the gym, basically. It's like fidgeting, yep. uh, blinking, yep. Yep. but walking as well. Like general Thank kind you. of steps you accumulate throughout the day. Definitely. Okay. Yep. Tapping your foot. Mm-hmm. You just said that this accounts for just, what did you say? Approximately, according to the research, approximately on average, remember there's outliers with every kind of research out there, um, about 10 to 20% of your overall calorie expenditure. Unless you're a professional athlete, your exercise activity thermogenesis, so your EAT, is about 5 to 10%. So already you can see there that it's going to contribute a lot more. Um, And if you think about it logically, you might exercise three to five times a week or potentially six, seven, maybe for an hour at a time. That's three to seven hours. You know, there's another 23 hours in a day, let alone the other hundred and however many hours a week. So I'm wearing a fitness tracker, yeah. which I've nearly broken. I've gone through many. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I've spoken about for many, many years, the fact that kind of walking is one of the most underrated oh. forms of weight loss. And it's such a game changer. If you can just add in... Yeah, obviously 10,000 steps, whatever it may be. But if you can just move, if you can be active, yep. including using a standing desk, these things really, really do make a huge difference if, oh, if your goal is like fat loss. Definitely. We had, um, so when I, when I kind of um, just started in the gym where I'm at the moment in January, uh, one of the ladies came to me, she was in her 50s. Uh, her daughter was made really, really successful. Her daughter lost 30 kilos in six months. Wow. So she was like, okay well i i want to lose fat i'm getting older i'm struggling um so we worked on a few dietary things but actually one of the things we looked at she doesn't exercise that's fine um we looked at just increasing her daily movement and she went on holiday she went on a ski trip um so she'd only been started about a month we're seeing good results but she was worried she was like i've done really well first month i don't want i don't want everything to be ruined on this ski trip and she knew she was going to be having hot chocolate and enjoying the apres ski and cheese and pasta. Yeah, all, all, all of that kind of stuff. So we came up with some strategies to help her with terms of food while away, but allowed, you know, that allowed her to have those things in moderation. But how can we increase her movement? She wasn't actually skiing on the trip either. So okay. we talked about uh, her setting goals, not me. And I'll maybe talk about this a bit later about that kind of process, but her setting goals. And one of the goals she set herself was to walk every day up and down the the mountain and, and use the ski lifts and have a walk around. Love it. And her steps went right through the roof for this holiday. She actually came back at the end of the trip having lost fat. She'd lost, I think it was about a kilo in a week, uh, which doesn't sound like a lot, but maybe that's another myth I'll come to next in terms of what people believe to be, you know, expectations for fat loss mm. so yeah uh, neat is massive like definitely this, this is why i love this and this is you know maybe i'll never release this i'll just keep this for myself mm. and then i'll claim it as my own knowledge <laughs> no, I'm, <laughs> I'm joking um i love this because i learn and the, the older i get i'm 42 i'm gonna be 43 at the end of this year mm. the more i realize it is the simple foundational habits principles that make the difference yeah. whether it is business whether it is marketing and messaging whether it is fat loss, you know, moving better, getting stronger, improving relationships, finding more meaning and purpose in your own, whatever it may be, any of the important areas of life. It's the simple stuff that really, really adds up to big kind of results. Um, Definitely. And I don't think people appreciate this this enough. So it's good to hear you kind of say that, but also reinforce it in a kind of more um, 
evidence-based way, let's suggest. Yeah. So let's go to let's go to the next the next myth. Okay, so I'll I'll go into the next one then and we'll talk about so it's talking about with that client, that particular client. What's the saying I'd I'd expand upon? Uh, that is a good question. You were saying you're going to expand upon um, the how much weight you can lose oh, per week. Yes, yes. So, okay, realistic expectations. So, yes. um, maybe not to spell in a myth, but I kind of want to highlight the charlatans out there and the scammers. Yes, um, let's do it. Let's do it. So, I have this real issue with these magazines, especially because I, I mainly work with women. These women's magazines that on their front cover have seven pounds lost in a week, fourteen pounds lost in two weeks, or you know these these crazy fat loss, weight loss um, goals that are put out there that you know draw people in. Obviously, you know a lot of people their goal is to lose weight, lose fat. You know, especially nowadays we have this growing epidemic of obesity, and if someone can promise you something as a quick fix, get you results in seven days, fourteen days. Then, uh, then obviously you're going to jump at the chance, especially if it's given at a reasonable price as well. Um, but I want to kind of sh- highlight to people how how absurd these numbers are. So the the print- That's half a stone, seven pounds is half a stone yes. in, in a week. In a week, yeah, which is ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's not even physically possible to lose that in fat. So I could help people lose, I would say, f- five pounds in forty eight hours, but that's not fat. That is weight. And this is what I want people to differentiate between. So you can easily manipulate a lot of factors within the body that impact weight, but not fat. So let let me explain. So the principle of fat loss is very, very simple. It's not easy. Fat loss is really hard. And, you know, there's lots of people out there that can testify to that, that really struggle to keep it, get it off and then keep it off. Um, But the principle is simple. And it is a simple equation of calories in, calories out. And I know this, I'm sure there's going to be lots of people jumping on me saying, oh, but it's about, what about food quality? I'm not, I'm not disputing that food quality doesn't play a role. But it is very, very clear that even if you disregarded food quality, which is not going to be helpful for a long-term journey, um, calories in versus calories out is the most important factor for changing your body composition. If you consume too many calories for your personal calorie expenditure, you will gain fat and vice versa. Um, However, so let's say the average woman, so actually on my story this week, I've been doing lots about this because this is something that's really kind of come up a lot recently. I've had a a woman come to me who's very small in terms of body composition. Um, She has an underactive thyroid, so therefore her calorie needs could probably be up to up to 15, 20% less than someone else her size. And I said to her, at the end of the month, realistic fat loss for you would be two pounds. She was like- In a month? In a month. Yeah, of fat though. Of fat. And I was like, that's, and she was like, that's not a lot. And I was like, yes, but you have to understand you're five foot two, you're in your 60s, you have an underactive thyroid, you have a low amount of muscle mass, and your job is sedentary. There's all these factors playing against you. You can't expect more than that. But anyway, Say an average woman, calorie needs are 2,000. For you to lose a pound of fat, you need to create a day uh, per week, you need to create a daily deficit of 500 calories. So basically, it's approximately 3,500 calories deficit to lose a pound of fat. Again, this sounds really simple. It sounds like it's a maths equation. There are so many factors that impact your appetite, your ability to adhere to this. And that's mm. the most important thing long-term. It isn't that simple. However, the principles are that simple. 
Um, so let's say the average woman starves herself for a week, does not eat a thing, not a morsel of food, just drinks water. That means she's in a deficit of 2,000 calories a day. Times that by seven, you have a 14,000 calorie deficit for the week. That would equate to four pounds of fat loss. So if you just do the maths straight away, you can pick out who is a liar, scammer, and who is telling you the truth. If anyone is claiming they have lost more than four pounds of fat in a week, either they've chopped a limb off or they're, they're lying. They're, they might have lost a lot of weight, but not fat. Okay, okay. I just want to pull you back to one thing that yeah. you said, and then so um, and then we're going to move on, okay? People are confused about this. So yes. this is not the question, but I'm just guessing yeah. that you don't sell kind of quick fix programs, no. <laughs> magic bullet programs. No. So you don't have the hyped up kind of marketing where you say, uh -huh. hey, lose half a stone in a week. So you're not like the magazine covers. What is the difference between weight loss and fat loss? Because yeah. every client I've worked with in the past, in my mm -hmm. in my personal training past, yeah. wanted to lose weight. Yeah. But we don't want to talk about that. So what's the difference between weight loss and fat loss? Okay, so as I said, you can easily manipulate weight. So your weight can be, um, a lot of it, well, we're 60% water. So... If, with just that straight away in mind, most of our body composition is water. So you can manipulate your weight by manipulating the amount of water you retain. And that's what a lot of um, boxers, MMA fighters have to do prior to their fight. What they do is they cut weight. So they might lose fat and at the initial stage, but when prep, but closer to the fight, they manipulate weight. Now, weight loss and fat loss completely different. Fat, as I've just highlighted, is a... It's not a slow process. It's it's faster than muscle building, um, but you as I said, it's re it's unrealistic to expect. I would say more than a kind of pound, two pounds a week. But again, that depends on size. So weight loss, we can straight away. If you wanted to lose weight, that's not going to change your body composition. It's not going to change your shape. Um, it just might make you feel a little bit lighter, um, but you're more likely to regain that. You could just cut out carbs for two days and exercise at high intensity and you deplete your glycogen stores and you would probably drop up to anything up to kind of five pounds in a few days um but you're unlikely to have lost fat or or a significant amount of fat so perhaps is it fair to say that there's something in the magazine cover hyped up title of like you know the kind of headline of hey lose seven pounds in a week of weight it is possible oh definitely but it's not really what you are after it's not like sustainable yeah. Yes. and yeah and this this is potentially why a lot of people uh i see i see this growing trend on social media about um anti-diet culture that diets don't work they they do but what people have to understand is the difference between weight and fat loss because if you're losing that much weight it's going to be water so likely it is that that weight's going to come back on, on again but it's not fat so a lot of my members are talk about when they go on holiday. In fact, one of them, Sue, she is, I absolutely love her. I, I'm going to mention her name because she's amazing. Um, hey, Sue. Her, yeah. Uh, she lost 30 kilograms in her first six months, another one that's that's been that successful. She went on holiday, though, on, on one of her first early scans. And she came back and we and we weighed her literally the day after. We couldn't really move the, the appointment. And she gained um, quite a bit of weight. I think it was over a kilo. And I was like you've just gone back off a flight. What happens to you on your flights? And she was like, oh, um, I really swell up. I, I retain a lot of fluid. And I was like, I can assure you 
that the weight you have gained is not fat. You mm. wouldn't you wouldn't have gained that much fat because it's it's the opposite. You'd have to eat in a surplus of five hundred calories per day for a week to gain a pound of fat. So you'd have to eat a lot. Um, so I said, look, let's. I tell you what, just to reassure you, I want you to weigh yourself every single morning for the next week. Mm. Lo and behold, as the days went on, she her weight gradually came back down again as she reduced the swelling from flying and and all of that kind of things. But yeah, if you if you want to lose weight, that's great. But that's not going to change your body shape. It's not going to improve your health. Um, in fact, it's probably not the best thing because if you're losing weight through losing water retention, um, water is massively important for a lot of processes in the body. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's not something I'd recommend. And if, you, if you're actually are genuinely wanting to change your body shape or improve your health, then you should be focusing on fat loss. Um, and recognize that if you're just using the the scale weight, that's going to go up and down and all over the place um, and isn't potentially going to be the most um, or the best, the best measure to use. You should really be using a kind of combination of factors. So, um, Adam, clearly you work in, in the fat loss world somehow. Yeah. Who do you help? Yeah, so um, I, I would say, obviously, I help whoever wants help, but I'd say the main focus and the main people that come to see me tend to be 35 to 55-year-old women, uh, generally moms or busy professionals. So, you know, women without a lot of time um, that are really struggling to, to lose fat and not necessarily lose it, but keep it off. And I think that's, that's the key part because um, some people do find fat loss, weight loss okay, it's that keeping it off part and, and not yo-yoing and jumping up and down. So you, you basically help that sort of type of client, you help yep. them lose lose fat? Yes. Okay, and maintain it and keep it off, yep. like sort of long-term, Yeah. kind of yep. foot for life, if you like, rather yep. than this horrible uh, cycle of yo- yo-yoing that a lot yeah, of people get, get stuck into. Yeah, get a lot of women that have come from uh, Slimming World, Weight Watchers, these kind of um, solutions where they're kind of told what to do or not really given the education and knowledge to take control themselves, to empower them um, and uh, try and give them the tools to learn to, so that they can then manage it themselves. Um, so that doesn't mean they're with me long term because actually that's not the idea. Um, it's, it's so that they come to me, I help them lose the fat. Um, and yes, there might be a little bit at the start where we give them enough to get them started but ultimately it's to educate to empower to give them all the tools so that when they do step away from from me from the process that they know how to control whether they gain or lose fat because ultimately if you want to gain a couple of pounds and enjoy yourselves and overindulge that should be your choice as well and and it's given them that power um so yeah that's that's kind of what we do I like this because I think a lot of people in your industry, in the health and fitness industry, are looking at ways to kind of lock people into long-term programs. And my goal with all my clients, you know, whether it was fat loss clients, uh, health clients back in the day, or whether it's kind of, you know, kind of branding and messaging clients now, is to get rid of my clients. Yeah. Because obviously, if I've done a good job, then I can hand the baton over to them. And I think it's so important, especially in the kind of fat loss world, health, Mm -hmm. health industry, to not get attached to a coach yeah. or because you know what happens if you leave you move you you decide to yeah, fulfill yeah. your dream of traveling around the world Definitely. and <laughs> yeah and i think as well like as as i hope my business to grow i'd like it to be so that i have other people working with me rather than i, I don't like using the word for me um, but with me like with the same kind of ethos and values and they're able to help people as well and if ultimately 
I just I, I can't pass on how I work or it work the process works, and that's never going to happen. Um, and it can't, you know, people shouldn't just rely on what me or one person. Why do you help this type of client? You know, kind of women, professional women yeah. between the ages. You said 35, 55? Yeah. Why that group of people, and why this? Why particularly with fat loss and, and sustainable fat loss? Um, I guess to see. Um, obviously, I had I've had my own kind of issues with weight, with fat loss, with the industry um, that I guess I'd like to address. But also as well, I look at my mum, my sister, my wife, um, the struggles they've had. And actually, when I, when you look at the the profile of a, a female, actually, it's not that it's not possible, but it is harder because there, there's hormonal differences there in terms of menstrual cycle, in terms of hormone balances. It does make the process for them a lot harder. But I also, and you know, it's not to say that men aren't conscientious about it, but I do find that the women I've worked with are very, very conscientious about, you know, wanting to engage, wanting to learn. Um, and they just tend to be the people that have been drawn to working with me um, and vice versa. What are the most common, like like painful problems mm. of a typical client who comes to you? And they probably tried lots of other things. You yeah. mentioned Weight Watchers, Slimming World. Yeah. What are the biggest couple of painful problems they're sort of struggling with? I think the main one is that yo-yoing, um, that they, they lose weight. So, you know, let's look at the Slim World approach, for example, and I don't, I don't want to bag on it at all because it's worked for a lot of people out there and that's not really my approach. Like, it has helped people, but the the things that, the way I differ and the way I hopefully can help kind of check, close a the gap there is they work on things like sins. You know, straight away you're labelling a food as bad and yes, there are foods that are more nutritious and less nutritious, but there should be no foods that are kind of off limits that you're not allowed to have it relies on a system that doesn't actually live in the real world. There are no, you don't go into a supermarket and the foods are labeled as so many sins. So like, as I've already explained, your whether you gain fat or lose fat is dependent on your energy balance, calories in versus calories out. And that's what everything's measured in. Calories is the name for energy. So, or the, the unit we use. So I help women to kind of understand all of that so that they can keep the weight off because what generally I see is these women being very successful with Weight Watchers, with Slimming World, but they're dependent on a system um, and they have to follow that system, that set of rules, those guidelines. And then when they step away from it, because ultimately you don't want to be dependent on something like that forever, the weight comes back on. Yeah, with interest, exactly. And therefore they have to either go back to that again. So some of the objections that people come to me is is price but actually people only work for me kind of three six months maybe longer for some people but not a long period of time so yes it might be an initial additional price to what you would compare if you compare it to slim world weight watchers but people are with slim and world weight watchers for years um, and actually if you compare the two the cost is similar but the difference is the knowledge the education and the the empowerment that, that I'm trying to give to people so that they have that knowledge, understanding to to control it themselves. Also, I think if anyone looks at setting themselves up in terms of their their weight, their their, yep. their kind of body fat percentage and their health, if they look at that as a cost versus an investment, yes. then perhaps they're not a great client in the first yes. place. <laughs> but it's yeah. difficult to change perceptions. I know. Let's think of like um, a typical client you've got. You yep. mentioned Sue, but yep. you've got uh, maybe a typical type of client who uh -huh. is, let's say, a 40-year-old 
woman who is a mum of two kids. Yep. Uh, and is professional. Yep. Works as like maybe a kind of um, a legal executive. <laughs> I'm getting very very specific. Yep. What typically do these women want to achieve? So typically they they especially if they're they're a mum as well. It's it's kind of regaining not the body they had before because that's never like let's be honest that's potentially not possible if they've had children. But at least getting a lot closer to where they were before to because. It's almost like uh, it, when they're in that place, it reminds them of a place they were, were before and where they were happy and most confident and um, regaining that confidence that, that they had. So a lot of the women, yeah, they want to regain that confidence. They want to get back into maybe an old pair of jeans or uh, their favorite coat, something they haven't worn for a long time. And that's going to give them a sense of success as well. And, it, you know, these women are powerful, successful in their own right. And being able to take control of that and be successful at that is another form of success within their life. And if they have that control, that gives them confidence, more self-esteem. You know, I have women that talk to me about wanting to get ready for a night out or a social event and it takes them hours because they don't feel comfortable because they're selecting clothes they're not happy in. They're wearing uh, tops or dresses that cover themselves up. And actually, they would like to wear something a bit more comfortable, something that they're happy to wear, that they're confident to wear, something they used to wear. And yeah, that's part of it as well. One thing I heard recently, and I, I hadn't really thought about this before, because you know I don't typically, or didn't used to typically work with you know, kind of women, female clients. Yeah. I worked with male clients. But some, some people go to the kind of um, extremes of like deleting photos of themselves. And I'm hearing more and more about this now, like on social media, or if someone takes a photo of a certain type of person, they will like either delete it or they're just not happy appearing in photographs. And I think yeah. that's linked into what you said yeah, about the definitely. kind of success and unfortunately the pressure to have mm. this certain type of body image. And I think that's kind of, it's kind of damaging. But I think your approach is different because you look at the individual, I guess, and you're not yeah. trying to help people conform to some kind of magazine cover yeah, model. No. You're looking very much at what's what's comfortable for you and what are you trying to achieve? Yeah, the, the whole process is led by the individual. So when so we use an embody scanner which gives a breakdown of um, body fat percentage weight and so on and so forth and when we give them the scan it's not like oh this is great or you've done really well we ask them how do you feel about that are you happy are you happy with what's happened because ultimately that's the most important thing and there's no prescribed um way you should look um it's down to personal preference everyone is happy at different stages and different kind of body shapes and that's how it should be um, obviously, ultimately, having less body fat is better for health long term and can improve health markers. But that doesn't mean you have to look like, you know, you don't have to have abs. You don't have to be a size six, um, for example. And you talked about the the photos thing, like one of the, the women we've worked with, she's she's lost, um, I think, well over well over a stone and a half. She looks fantastic. But one of the things that really sticks out to me is the thing you mentioned about photographs. And it broke my heart. Um, so I asked her to write a testimonial and tell me about her struggles and, and things she found difficult. And she said, um, one of the things that she didn't want is to be a fat mum. She didn't want um, to embarrass her son. Um, uh, he was becoming a teen, he's becoming a teenager. And she talked about how she hadn't had a full length photo with him or with anyone for years, a couple of years. She felt ashamed of how she looked, embarrassed, and she didn't feel comfortable being in photos. And she'd do exactly what you said, delete them. Um, and that's kind of heartbreaking. 
she had she took her first or she had her first full length photo taken of her a couple of months ago and she couldn't believe like she was like i'm so happy i look like great i'm happy with how i am and she's not you know your size six you're size, like she's just a normal woman and she's happy with where she's she, at yeah, personally to exactly. her and her circumstances yeah. Yeah, yeah which is a game changer i mean that kind of thing is a massive game changer for yeah. someone i'm fascinated with mindset mm. and you know i think it's the foundation of everything else yeah and the piece that's letting a lot of people down is their mindset, how they, what they believe to be true about themselves and what they're capable of. Yeah. Uh, and I, think, I guess it, it strikes me that a part of your coaching really gets into the mindset side of things, perhaps busting these myths, but also, yeah. I don't want to say giving permission, but like helping people understand that there's no one size fits all mm -hmm. approach and there's no kind of, there's no good body shape. Yeah. There's no good dress size. You know, we, the, the nice thing about humans is we're all unique. Yeah. So I want to pull you back though yeah. <laughs> to one yeah. thing you said, yeah. which is it might not be possible to get that pre-pregnancy body back. What yeah. What do you mean exactly? Like specifically? Um, so obviously, uh, having a child is is an unbelievable, like physiological change to the body. Um, so many things happen. Muscles and tendons become looser to allow room. You know, your stru body structure changes. Um, you're going to have potentially stretch marks. You're going to have diastasis recti. There's, you know, there's what's that? Uh, so that's the kind of splitting of the abs. So in the middle of the abs, there's like a, a tendon sheath, and the muscles separate to allow room. So you have all of these things that happen um, to the body. So there, there could be, you know, stretch skin, uh, stretch marks that may never go away. Um, and you know, a lot of women. I, gotta, I don't want to be contra too controversial and I like this to be kind of taken the wrong way but you know there's a lot of women out there that can't have children um, so those that do and they have those stretch marks maybe changing what you said like changing your mindset towards those and actually looking at that as kind of like a almost like a celebration of what you've done you've brought a child into the world which is incredible um, yes you can lose the fat you can bring your body fat back down again but your body might not be exactly what it was before the child because of all the changes it's gone through and part of the process might be accepting that but finding a new place of happiness it doesn't mean you have to accept that you're larger or maybe overweight or carrying more fat than you would like you can lose fat you can change your body shape but maybe accepting it's going to be slightly different to what it was yeah you know we've got four kids and my wife does have some stretch marks she might oh. hate me saying that i i, I love them yeah I, I find them really attractive yeah, anyway, so that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's your story then? So I understand what you do now. I think everyone yeah. out there understands what you do. So, so what's your story? How did you come to do this kind of work? Do you know what? I think I've always been really, really interested by diet or I think it's really impacted my life. Um, and actually, it's when I came to see you that made me think about that a lot more. Um, when I was uh, about 12, I was kind of ch chubby-ish. As uh, I wasn't fat, uh, I just carried a little bit excess when I was when I was about 12, 13. And my next door neighbour used to call me Chubby Checkers. And that still sticks to me today. Like, it was just teasing. It wasn't anything in it at all. It, you know, he was a friend of mine. We, we did stuff together. And I cut out chocolate crisps. I was very, very rigid with and strict to myself as, as a teenager, as a teenage boy. Um, and I lost the puppy fat. Um, and was very, very skinny, actually, when I look back, very skinny. And then it was about trying to gain size and, and kind of get this cover model physique. Um, and 
yeah, as I grew older in my 20s, as listening to all kinds of nonsense from PT friends, reading Men's Health. And there's there was so much nonsense that I believed to be true. And I tried tried most things. I tried uh, fasted workouts because I believed that I'd burn more fat that way. Um, I tried, um, <laughs> yeah, I tried all sorts. I tried um, fat burners during fasted workouts, which I later found I had, had amphetamines in them. <laughs> um, so I was buzzing and sweating and off my tits during these workouts, but actually it wasn't really getting me the results I was thinking they were. I, you know, clean eating. I got rid of anything processed out of my diet, and I mean like no pasta, no carbs because they're processed forms of carbohydrates. They only whole foods. Um, thinking that that was the answer, and uh, bulletproof coffee, coconut oil in my coffee because eating more fats would burn more fat. And all of this stuff that I tried and my body was not changing how I thought it would. I still always had this, you know, I've, I've always been relatively slim. I've been relatively lucky. And that goes back to, I think, uh, neat. You ask my wife and it does her head in. I'm one of those people that can't sit still when I talk. Um, generally, I'm quite animated and I, I have this kind of high level of neat and I'm, I exercise a lot. And, and so I've relatively been slim, but I've always had this kind of, or I did have this kind of pouch. Uh, at the bottom that I was always very self-conscious of because of, you know, the, the, the these magazine cover models and I wanted to have this ripped physique. Um, and then I kind of stumbled on keto and got quite lean from keto. And I was like, wow, like this, I, I looked great. But actually I kind of, when I look back, I looked almost gaunt mm. uh, because where I'd re- taken out the carbohydrates from my diet, I reduced my water, like, body water so actually muscles looked a little bit flat but yeah, I looked I looked great and the reason why I looked much better wasn't necessarily the keto is that I massively restricted my calories I cut out loads of carbs from my diet and I didn't really know what to eat um or I didn't I couldn't really I didn't really eat very much at all in fact I when I worked out I was probably well under 1500 calories a day which for a guy of wow. my size is not a lot yeah and i was doing crossfit on top every day and that sucked what were your workouts like oh my god <laughs> the first week i think was okay because i probably had some stored glycogen available <laughs> and then it just sucked it was miserable Seven, um, 72 hours at last didn't it pretty yeah it's just horrendous um so i was like okay i look great but this is not sustainable i can't do this long term um and I was kind of sick of all this rubbish that I'd been fed that didn't work. Um, so I did some reading. I read uh, Gary Taub's book about keto. And he he started going on, going on about this calories in, calories out and how it's a load of nonsense. But it actually led me to read more about it and read more research. Having a sports science background, you know, I was not afraid to read research and kind of look delve into that more. And I started following some some really successful people on Instagram um, and some funny people as well that did, did it in an entertaining way and came to the conclusion, or not the conclusion myself, but looking at the research, what, what the overarching evidence shows is that it is calories in versus calories out. And where I'd done keto and reduced my calorie intake massively, I'd lost fat. And it was as simple as that. Um, Back to basics. Yeah. And it was then finding a diet that fitted me um, and my lifestyle. So not cutting out carbohydrates because I like them. I like pizza, I like cake, but finding how I could incorporate them but still get the results. And actually after that, um, 
got down to probably my lowest body fat percentage uh, just before Christmas, and I was probably in pizza quite regularly and so enjoying myself. Are you telling people out there that they can get down to say let, let's say you know a 10% body fat yeah. range or for women slightly higher yeah. what 15% yeah. I, I would say yeah I would even say probably a little bit higher than that I'd say 18 yeah 18% 15% you kind of get into that bikini competitor range but so you're telling yeah. people that they can get into the best shape of their life in terms of fat loss and yes. how lean they are yeah and eat pizza and eat cake yes what about alcohol uh, yes, uh, yeah, you can drink. Uh, again, though, you have to be aware that there's calories within alcohol. There are a few little swaps you can make to kind of damage limitation. But you just need to be aware. Like, so I'll I tell you what, I'll, I'll save it to the end, but I'll give some tips at the end that I think would, would really help people in terms of how to manage their food yeah. um, to be able to get the best results. Definitely. Um, using kind of, uh, you know, uh, in inverted commas here, but you can you can lead a normal life basically yeah. then and, and hit the results you yeah. want. So on the can, keto, sorry. Can I just add one thing to that? Yeah. I just want to say, so I'm not advocating like eat as much crap as you want. Like I hate you. Sorry, I shouldn't use the word crap. Only it's... eat cake and yeah. pizza and, dr and drink lots of alcohol. Yeah. And you can still, you can lose half, <laughs> you can lose seven to 14 pounds yeah, in, in a week. In a week, <laughs> exactly. Um, you have to be aware of that balance because what you need to understand is that if you do eat less nutritious foods, um, higher calorific foods such as cakes, such as pizza, um, it does obviously allow less room for other things. If you want to lose fat, that is. If you don't, that's fine. And like enjoy it. Um, but if you want to lose fat, you need to be aware that you're probably going to be very hungry um, because it's not going to leave room for much else. So it's about finding that balance uh, and yeah, having a flexible approach. Okay, that's nice. We'll come back to that yeah. flexible approach. But basically, these these things are not off the menu because they're part of the yes. balanced yeah. kind of uh, calories in, calories out mm -hmm. approach. I want to go back to keto for a moment yes. because I, th I think keto is fascinating and I will tell yeah. you why. Because it's become like a magic bullet. Yes. Oh my God, you've got to do keto. I, I, I put on a slightly American accent there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm just thinking of specifically a few people I've come across and I know yeah. who are touting keto as like the kind of... Uh, the savior basically to, for fat loss now one thing i think is very very interesting is that um a lot of people say they're doing keto but they're not yeah, <laughs> yeah. because yeah to be in ketosis yep. the ketogenic diet by the way if you're not familiar uh -huh. with what this is you need to be eating high to moderate fat moderate protein yes i think that's the key and very 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 low carbohydrates mm -hmm. whether they're good or bad yep. or whatever so it's like it's not many yeah. carbs yeah but a lot of people out there I see who say they're on the keto diet are eating essentially paleo. So they're like yeah. high protein, uh -huh. moderate fat. And, you know, they're probably in the range of 150 grams of carbs per day. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to get into ketosis with 150 grams of carbohydrates a day. Is, is that right? Yeah, you're you're exactly spot on. Okay. Um, and so a lot of people in there, they're, they're on what they believe to be a kid, that what you should be eating, as you said rightly, is that moderate protein. So you should be eating around 50 grams of carbohydrates or less per day, high fat, which is going to make up the vast majority of your calories. And the reason moderate protein is because actually, if you eat excessive amounts of protein, if that is not used by the body, so if you're eating above uh, a certain amount of uh, grams of protein per meal or per day, then that gets actually turned into glycogen. Or, or glucose from the body. So your brain, when there is glucose present, will primarily pick to use glucose. It's the primary source of energy. Um, and you need to get, if you want to go into keto, that's absolutely fine. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. 
Um, but you need to be aware of that. Uh, it's unlikely you're going to go into this. I don't know why people consider it magic. This magic form of, you know, magic ketosis. Um, you need to deprive the body of glucose. Um, it's as simple as that. And if you've got a high protein diet, that's not going to happen. Um, just one thing I want to say is, if you are doing keto, can you tell me how you'd get into ketosis? Like, if you ask that question to someone doing keto, get them to explain to you why why they want to be in ketosis, what it does, and what the importance or relevance of it is. So do you mean what they're looking for, what the yeah. outcome is they're looking yeah. for? Because I think outcome-based decision-making is very, uh -huh. very important, Definitely. especially in this this realm of fat loss. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm not knocking keto because I find right. keto interesting. I'm just kind of knocking, I'm having a, a little fun poke at the people who think, <laughs> think they're eating keto, but yeah. they're actually not because it's a very yeah. different thing to what you think. But I mean, there is some credible research there about the ketogenic diet, uh, in particularly treating chronic health issues, cancer. There's some some ongoing research. And so I think I'm not here to bash keto because I yeah. think there is, certainly is a place for it. And also, I, I think in terms of sort of maybe somatotypes and uh, there is a little bit of variance in what we're suited to. Is this a myth? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is a myth. There is no kind of uh, perfect diet per, for your body type. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether anyone's seen the, the v, v Shred. Uh, so there's this guy on uh, Instagram, Facebook, see his adverts all the time, and he's V Shred. And uh, you haven't got the right diet for your body type. And, oh, you need to see me to get the perfect diet. So he's kind of playing on those insecurities and those vulnerabilities that our oh, diets haven't worked because it's not the perfect diet for your body shape. Um, and that's not the case. Again, it is as simple as calories in, calories out. So is it more to do with personal choice and lifestyle, yes, yeah. how you would manipulate macronutrients, uh -huh. particularly fats yeah. and carbohydrates? Yeah, Pro protein is, is really important. So people probably don't recognize that protein is basically a building box of every structure in the body and we need it to develop uh, hormones uh, bones hair nails everything um well it, they're all those structures are built from amino acids derived from protein so protein is massively important and actually the vast majority of people probably under eat protein and i'm not saying you have to have meat or dairy this can be done through vegan sources or plant-based sources of protein but it is massively important um then in terms of your cap, carbohydrate and fat intake, that's personal, personal preference. Your diet should consist of at least 20, 30%, if not more, fats, because fats are needed um, to produce hormones. Uh, we need a, a balance of uh, LDL and HDL, what's considered bad and good cholesterol. And it's not bad, we need LDL. And we need that to kind of produce these horm certain hormones in the body. And we do need certain levels of fat. But the preference, the ratio is your preference. Like this is a thing as well, carbs, like keto is okay. I'm not bashing keto at all either. It's just a tool. It's it's a tool to create a calorie deficit. And actually, if that's how you create a calorie deficit and that works for you, brilliant. If you can see yourself doing that in two years, five years time, do it. Um, however, if you do it and you're miserable and you can't see yourself doing it in long term, why are you doing it? Because once you've lost the weight, what are you gonna then do? You've not learned how to sustain that weight loss because you've done a diet that isn't sustainable. Again, when you go back to normal, inverted commas, normal yes. life. Yeah. I mean, I do know people who have spent time uh, in ketosis, mm. actually in it, and yeah. they felt amazing in terms yeah. of energy and clarity and reduction of brain fog. Yeah. And that's interesting. I think that's kind of for different reasons. But yes. One thing that they've consistently said is it's not something that they can long-term stay mm. in. So they've probably done five to six weeks yeah and then they've had to kind of come out to get back to yeah, yeah. to normal again yeah, yeah 
Um, so, okay, so connected to this, yep. and then we're going to change tack. I just wanted to come back to, so following on from keto, CrossFit. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I want to talk about CrossFit. Now, people who know me know that occasionally I have a dig at CrossFit. And let me just, just let me <laughs> let me just kind of caveat this with the fact that I know some CrossFit coaches. There's one sitting next to me. <laughs> but I know some guys who own CrossFit boxes and are talented, brilliant coaches who help people achieve really, really good results. However, there are also some terrible CrossFit coaches oh. out there who are damaging people. And I have a corrective exercise background as a Czech practitioner and you know some of these CrossFit coaches give us clients because, you know, we have to undo the damage uh, done by some some coaches. And then this is not just exclusive to CrossFit. This is in any yeah. any area of coaching. Yeah. But, you know, I like to have a little dig every so often. Yeah, so no, just I, I fully I fully appreciate that. Like, there, you know, there's so many videos online that, that highlight it. Um, the, the only thing I would say is, as with anything in life, there are, as you've rightly said, there are good coaches and bad coaches. There are good crossfit boxes and bad crossfit boxes like there is one local to me i'm not going to name them um they put up on their social media every single day videos of people working out at their gym and i look at it and i just can see accidents waiting to happen there are new people to the gym and i mean new full stop at lifting weights doing overhead squats when they can't even squat with with correct form um there are well, there was one workout I saw him doing single arm overhead squats with a barbell. And it, I was just like, this is insane. Like, you, people will get injured. Um, like, lifting weights that are far too heavy. and But it looks cool on Instagram. Yeah, it looks cool <laughs> and they're growing. Okay. And and my concern is that, that some of their members, but it's not, it doesn't really, it shouldn't really be my concern because it's not my gym. And, you know, it's, if, if it's working for them, then great. Um, but the, I think this is the kind of place where people, you know, gives CrossFit a bad name. Um, the the gym actually where I work probably is, it's probably my favorite CrossFit box that I've You can ever, throw the name in. Yeah. So CrossFit Amptil, um, they use something called the level method, which I know is massive in America. It's growing in the UK. And if you are a CrossFit box, I would genuinely, I would encourage you to just to look at it. I'm not saying go with it. Um, you might develop something of your own. But the reason why I like it is basically before anyone enters a class at CrossFit Amptil, they go through a set of five one-hour PTs or 10 half-an-hour PTs. And this is like an assessment phase. So we go through pretty much squat, deadlift, pull-ups, push-ups, uh, various different tests, flexibility, uh, aerobic tests. Um, so by the end of it, the person comes out with an overall level. Um, so white all the way up to black, almost like a karate belt. And from that, they can clearly identify where their level is at. So when they go into class, all the workouts are leveled at there. So the workout, say purple is RX. So if you're purple, you will do the workout RX. However, below that is blue, yellow, orange and white. And depending on where you are, that's how you'll do the workout. So the movements you do and the weights you perform at are specific to where your level is at and there's no one doing movements they're not capable of so for example if you're white you're going to be squatting to a box um, generally that means that you can't squat to full depth you can't perform a squat with the correct technique with right range of motion um, you're never gonna you probably won't see a barbell yet because you need to develop strength and technique with you know without those kind of um, issues 
I, I just think it's it's been fantastic. I, I don't know or I have not seen many injuries in the, the six to nine months that I've been there. And it just allows workouts to be individualised. It allows us as well as coaches to not have to worry about saying, oh, well, I think you should do this. And you should, like everyone knows what their level is, what they're working at. But also it allows them to see if they're making progress. So there's testing kind of every three months and they retest those same tests they did in that initial PT and they can see progress over time and kind of see where, you know, where their weaknesses are as well because you get an individual level as well for every movement. So you can say, okay, well, my strength is my relative body strength. So push-ups, pull-ups, uh, or my strength is my absolute strength, my ability to do squ you know, squat, heavy weight or deadlift. And therefore you can then go away and work on your weaknesses. So yes, a lot of CrossFit places have bad reputations and understandably so, but there are a lot of good, as you said, a lot of good coaches, a lot of good boxes out there. Yeah, and I haven't met many people who are qualified to do a good overhead squat mm -hmm. uh, in, in terms of range of motion of their shoulders. But what I wanted to say about CrossFit is that I see a lot of athletes in the CrossFit world who are talented athletes. They yeah. are they have huge work capacity. They are they are fit in inverted commas yes. as well, uh, and they're, they're hardcore basically. <laughs> but they're yeah. not very defined, mm -hmm. so they don't have a hugely athletic physique. They're not that lean, and they seem to be carrying a little bit of excess body fat. Uh, mm -hmm. And like, why do you think that is? When you're training that mm -hmm. hard, and you're kind of at almost as yeah, close yeah. as you can get to being an athlete as yeah, a recreational yeah. person, yeah. you're not getting the kind of the, the magic physique transformation. Well, if you look at if you look at um, who does have that lean physique, bodybuilders, bikini competitors, what do they do in terms of their training? They uh, they don't necessarily have that need for anaerobic capacity or aerobic capacity. And they would sit, like sit or lie and do squats, bench press, so on and so forth. So they're pretty stationary. Look at sports people in general, footballers, rugby players, crossfitters, their physiques aren't as lean as competitors because when you're at that lower, if it, to maintain a lower body fat percentage is hard. It's hard hormonally. And if you look at a bodybuilder, they're going to be at that very low body percentage for a snapshot in time. It is not sustainable long term. So to get yourself down to 6 to 8% body fat for a man, you're not going to stay there forever. So you might aspire for that and great, get there for your photo shoot. But if you want to stick around there, it's miserable. Your sex, uh, your libido, sorry, is going to go through the floor. Um, you're probably going to feel very cold. Um, which sounds strange, but honestly, you do. You feel cold very regularly. You're probably going to just think about food 24-7. You're probably going to have to know your calories inside out to keep it. And as an athlete, you can't afford to, like, especially if you want to compete, you can't afford to be at that low body fat percentage and, you know, being low on energy. You need to have, you know, a lot of food to to kind of keep you going and pushing at such a high intensity. So it's understandable, but they still, they're still, you know, a lot of them got six pack abs and look amazing. Look at Rich Fronin and stuff, for example. He's yeah. a, he looks like a bit of a tank. He's a beast. Yeah, absolutely yeah. beast. So what's realistic for like a man as a, as a sustainable, maintainable body fat percentage where you look fairly lean and you've got some ab visibility? But it's, I think it's, it's different for each individual. 
and it also depends on your lifestyle. So if you're someone that likes to play sport, for example, or if you're someone that does CrossFit, for example, you're going to need probably slightly more body fat percentage. So you're probably going to have to sit somewhere between 10 and 15%. Where, whether you see abs or not, again, it's very genetic. People can see abs at 15%. Some have to strip right down to 10 or lower to start seeing abs. So that is, you know, that's, that's genetic. You can't, I'm sorry, you can't do much about that. And it's just finding what serves you and your lifestyle and what you're comfortable with. Um, but there's no kind of, this is it. Like, we'll get you to 10% and you're going to see this. Or, you know, there's no okay. definitive answer to that. So I dragged you away from your story and uh, your personal story and how you came to do the kind of work that you do. Yeah. And basically you you had the sort of early challenges. You'd been through lots and lots of different things. And we got a little bit, we went off on a little bit of a tangent <laughs> at keto. Yeah. So... Can I, can I pull you back to that, that yeah, sort yeah. of keto moment and what came next? So I think yeah. you'd got up to like um, basically the end of last year. Was it the end of uh, no November? You, you got to your lowest body fat percentage. Yeah, and that so was before Christmas, yeah. And I did it uh, by having a bit more of a flexible approach. So as I said, keto is a tool. It's a tool for creating a calorie deficit. One of the tools that I went to that I liked and worked for me because I've never ever, my whole life, I've never liked breakfast. So I remember going to school and people, my mum telling me and everyone telling me, oh, you have to eat breakfast. And I was always like, I don't like it. I don't want it. I remember times just having, you know, I even had, I remember having a cookie for breakfast like a few times just because just we eat something because I was told I had to. Um, so one of the tools that I went to was intermittent fasting um, and it was just a tool. Um, so I like quite high volumes of food. I like feeling full and eating a lot. So what I ended up doing uh, to get quite lean was I wouldn't eat breakfast. And I found actually I could appetite after a few days of doing that would go away. Um, and I, I could probably persist to 11, 12 o'clock. And then I'd have a big lunch, probably about a thousand calories. Um, and then a big dinner, probably about a thousand calories. And that would satisfy me. So 2000 calories quite low for someone of my kind of act activity levels and I could sustain that long term and then if I wanted to it gave me room still to indulge if I wanted a bit of cake if I wanted to go and have pizza at the weekend or a takeaway and that was what I used but what you know if anyone listened to this thinks oh I'm going to do that please please don't just assume that that will work for you um ha you have to find what works like everyone is an individual and intermittent fasting actually the research shows that the leaner you are, the heart, actually it should have increased my appetite. For some reason it didn't. I was very fortunate that I could stick to it, but the research shows in general, remember there are outliers, but intermittent fasting when you're at a lower body fat percentage, um, actually more often than not increases appetite and it can be hard to maintain. If you're obese, the research shows that actually it's, it helps you to control appetite. So, you know, it's again, it's a tool to create a calorie deficit. Um, and that's what I chose. And yeah, it kept it down. But anyway, um, learning about all of this and educating myself. And I just, I fought back to all the nonsense that I had been told, all of the, not lies. And I know some of the people that were PTs telling me this stuff, they didn't tell me on purpose to scam me or to go, ha ha. It's well-intentioned. It was well-intentioned. And it's just what they had read. And all the, there's so much misinformation out there that, it's hard to know what's true and what's not. Um, and, you know, there are some amazing people out there uh, on in, on social media now that are promoting evidence-based approaches. And that is, it's again, 
it's hard to distinguish between who is evidence-based and who is not and who is a scam artist and who is not. But there are some people out there that definitely are more helpful. Evidence-based meaning that it's supported by scientific yeah. research. Yeah, so sorted by, supported by the research. But again, there are people out there that will use the research to confirm their bias. Which is one of the problems with research, yes, isn't it? Exactly. Because, yeah, you can manipulate the data. Yep. Uh, to support your your kind of your worldview, if you like. Yeah, and you can interpret it how you like. So if you look at, say, for example, what the health as a documentary, people have to recognise what is the purpose of a documentary. It's to entertain. Netflix don't put a documentary out there to kind of say, well, actually, the extremes are, un, un, you know, it's the it's the road down the middle. It's the basics, the simples that are your best choices because that's not entertaining. That's boring. It's bland. We want to see the guy who's lived in the woods for 20 years, yeah. only eats bacon, yeah, exactly. <laughs> rubs bathes in bacon yeah. grease. Makes it a much better story, doesn't it? So, and he's like 1% body fat yeah. and he can deadlift 500 pounds. Yeah. So when a documentary is put out there, you have to straight away be sceptical. What's the bias of the documentary like? And actually delve a bit deeper. So if you look at What the Health and you actually look at the studies that they've presented. So, for example, I'll, I'll pick out one, the one about uh, red meat. Um, causing cancer. Actually, everybody's risk of colon cancer is something like um, somewhere between four and seven percent. Everybody's risk, irrelevant of whether you eat red meat or not. The study that what the health used, they reported a twenty percent increase in your risk of colon cancer. Now, by eating red meat, by eating red meat, any red meat, any red meat. If you look at the study, the study is processed meat consumed daily every day and it's a relative increased risk so it's not an increase like an absolute risk so what that means is let's say for example I, ca I can't remember the exact figure but let's say for example the risk of everyone getting colon cancer is four percent if you are to eat processed red meat or processed meat every single day for the rest of your life your risk would increase by 0.8 percent that's 20 percent or four percent i'm sorry 0.8 percent less than one percent less than one percent Okay. And what they don't also account for, so this is, uh, again, if you are reading research studies, you have to look at the methods and what methods they've used to gain data. So I believe that study, again, please correct me if I'm wrong, please uh, show me the data. Um, I believe it was a self-reported study um, or an observational study. And what that means is they're getting people to report what they've eaten and kind of seen what's happened over time. What they don't account for is all the other lifestyle factors. And what research shows is if you're someone that eats red meat, the other lifestyle factors that are more prevalent in people that eat red meat is smoking and drinking. Um, so actually, if you eat red meat, you are more likely, there's a higher chance that you have those other behaviours that are more likely to lead to cancer. It doesn't separate what's been the cause. It just is that correlation between the two. I hope that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And I think it's really interesting to dig into, you know, I think evidence based is a term that you're hearing more and more. And as a Czech practitioner, you know, we're holistic. Yes. But the roots of most of the things that we well, certainly when I was studying and training, a lot of it, not so much the holistic side, but the corrective exercise side, some of the nutrition side was very evidence based at the time. Yeah. And we were we were taught how to look at scientific studies and kind of appraise them and look at what was a good design yep. and who's funding it yes. and what's the bias That's or really the intention can, of yeah. the kind of study director or the author or the 
And so I think this this is really, really important to emphasize this because you shouldn't just take any scientific research yep. at face value. Definitely. Particularly perhaps stuff that's reported in the mainstream media because it's often reported by journalists who make their money as journalists, not as scientists, and then are kind of cherry-picking the bits and pieces from studies. To- I, w- I want to tell you about something <laughs> that's just come straight into my head. So have, have you ever seen on uh, on the internet the... Um, the the journalist article about drinking more gin can in can help fat loss. Oh no, not yet. But okay, I'm, I'm so find look it. look it up. <laughs> there is a genuine article that has been published by many many. I think Cambridge Post put it out there. A few other people that originated from an April Fool's hoax. Someone put this out on the internet just to see what would happen. As an April Fool's, they put out this article, apparently grounded by research that. Drinking gin can promote fat loss. Journalists, lazy journalists, jumped on this, saw that there was a study reported, um, ran with it and put this out there into mainstream media. I love this. And social media amplifies this kind oh. of stuff. And then it becomes this this myth. There's something out there that I heard a while ago. And I don't, I, this, is, <laughs> this is possibly an urban legend. This yeah. is, but I don't think it, I think there's some truth in it. But the number one rated restaurant in the UK in London on TripAdvisor yeah. didn't exist. Uh, and it was a guy who basically had like um, pretended he had a restaurant in his back garden in his, sh- in, in his shed, basically. Yeah. And people started reviewing it. <laughs> and it had an incredible, like thousands of reviews. Yeah, yeah. And I think for a while it was the number one top rated oh, restaurant in London that didn't exist. Um, anyway, I love this. I love this sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, when did you start working with people with actual clients? Like, because you you um, weren't actually you haven't been a coach for long. No, you, and you have you certainly haven't had your own fitness business for long. So. No, no, not at all. So, um, so me and my wife uh, at the time when this kind of all this trying keto and and all of that, we were living in Thailand at the time. So we're, we're teachers, both of us. She's an English teacher, I was a PE teacher, and we got a job in Thailand um, at an international school, British school, and basically she got me into CrossFit, and I I ended up. Loved, loved it, fell in love with it. And I was like, oh, I wouldn't mind doing a bit of coaching in the evening. So I started working there as a coach, did my, my CrossFit level one. And just I've always been interested in diet, nutrition. I've always talked about it and looked into it. And the more I read about it, the more I felt capable of giving advice, um, actual evidence-based advice. And some of the CrossFitters would speak to me about what they'd heard and myths and what they were doing. I remember one of the coaches talking to me about apple cider vinegar and how I was drinking it every day. Here's everything. Yeah, apparently it's unbelievable for fat loss. And I just... And I, gin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and gin, yeah. Yeah, I should have told him actually. It's a new cocktail yeah. there, isn't it? Yeah, if he'd had them both <laughs> together, he would be shredded by now. Um, so, yeah, so I kind of was like, I had to burst his bubble and like, you know, in a sensitive way. Um, and kind of point them in the direction of actual research. Um, and yeah, started helping people. And then one of the girls there who was a fantastic athlete, like amazing, um, she was like, I'd love you to help me. Like, I want you to specifically work with me on my diet and nutrition. I want I want to get lean. I'm struggling to lose a bit of fat. Um, and I think it would help me with my gymnastics. She really struggled. like lifting, amazing, super strong, really really good but gymnastics wise she struggled because she was carrying less functional mass so fat is obviously not functional it's not useful for gymnastics work so I worked with her for six weeks and I was shocked like the transformation was incredible like she could see abs um, in six weeks um, not doing anything drastic um, just reducing her calorie intake 
What was her performance like? And we, I actually put together a gymnastics program for her and she got not just her first pull-up, but she got her first three consecutive pull-ups. And her, Were these real pull-ups? Yeah, no, proper, okay. proper pull-ups, <laughs> not, not CrossFit pull-ups. She could do <laughs> not it. Not special she, pull-ups. She could do the, uh, the, flip, the uh, fish kind of movement already. Um, so no, strict pull-ups. Um, but yeah, um, and it wasn't just that she was losing fat. We were able to talk about reducing her calories whilst fueling performance. So talks about kind of carbohydrate timing and types of carbohydrates um, to support training and performance. And her performance was improving. She was PRing all her lifts as well as losing fat. And other people in the gym were like, well, look at Ashley um, and started coming to me. And at that point, I was like, OK, well, if I'm starting to take people on, it's going to take up more and more of my time. Um, I should really start asking for payment so at that point it was then that i started charging for it but it was a hobby and it was very small amounts of money um and actually when i look back i'm a little bit embarrassed about what they got um as a service um yeah it's developed so much since then but yes yeah, so i started doing that and actually i remember me and my wife we got married and we went away to new zealand um for kind of our honeymoon for new year and christmas and and it was at that point I was like, I don't want to teach anymore. So I, you were a full-time teacher, PE teacher. Yeah. And yeah. how long had you been teaching for? 12, uh, 12 years I taught for in the end. At that point, it was about 10, 10 11. But yeah, I'd been teaching for 12 years. I, I had real big aspirations when I was about 29, 28 to be a senior leader, which was like assistant head, deputy head. And I was like, I'd, I'd got a lot of responsibility early on as a teacher. I was a head a year within my first couple of years. And like the head there was kind of like, look, before by the time you're 30, you'll probably be an assistant head. And I was very, very ambitious. And then, yeah, I kind of shifted. I wanted to go travel. And then actually nutrition became more and more important. And I looked at the kids coming into school being larger and larger, less and less active. And actually, I personally could see that nutrition was the biggest component to altering body composition not exercise exercise is great like it has so many benefits mental health um obviously building muscle all of that but in terms of changing your body composition you you need to resolve your diet you need to change your nutrition and that just wasn't being addressed in the education system and presumably as a pe teacher that's not something a you're qualified to talk about yeah. or b that's on the curriculum yeah exactly and it was just frustrating i was just like i was in a school in thailand where actually we had control over our curriculum and I constantly was like, I think we need to implement a nutrition aspect. There were these children coming through, even in a well, you know, a privileged background, wealthy, successful parents, um, fee paying school, still, you know, overweight, still, you know, not physically active. And I was like, this needs to be addressed. There needs to be some education. They need to understand like about diet and food so that they're not going to grow up as the next lot of obese adults and yeah frustra frustrating and i thought right i don't want to teach anymore i don't feel fulfilled doing this i've because it was a career for you i mean 10 years yeah. is a long time and then 12 before yeah. you left and you know you obviously had your your sight set on leadership so that's a, that's a proper career and i think this is really important and you know i know you a little bit because we've worked together yes and i know how important education is to you mm. and you can see that that sort of shines through in your approach to your coaching and your work Definitely, the fact that you yeah. want to as we said earlier you want to educate people yeah. so that they can take control of this stuff yeah. so what 
we're going to talk about your business now. I want to yeah, talk about cool. your business. What, like, first of all, though, what made you take the plunge? What was that kind of moment? What I'd call the call to action in the in the world of story. But what was that moment where you made the leap? Because it wasn't that long ago. No. Um, so I was kind of regularly getting about at least you know ten clients a month, which so it's like really nice pocket money, really helpful. And then and then I thought, well, I'm 33. If I don't do it now, it's not going to happen. This is what I want to do. We came home, one, so our daughter could grow up with family and um, and we wanted a bit more of an outdoorsy lifestyle. But secondly, because I want, I, I'd set about this plan when we was in New Zealand to say, right, this is what I want to do. I want to help people understand about diet and nutrition. I want to have a bigger impact on life. And yeah, and in the end, I was like, right, uh, let's do it. Time to make the jump. And I spoke with my school, so it was a slow kind of exit. So I was full time until Christmas. I spoke to them about leaving. Christmas when? Uh, just gone. So 2018. Okay. Yeah. So December 2018. And I said, look, I, I want to leave. Um, but I also felt an obligation to keep my examination classes till e- Easter, Easter break, because after that is kind of revision and, and there's not really so much. And, you know, that I had a couple of very tough classes that I needed to kind of get through. And I still felt some responsibility there so i ended up going part-time and that allowed me to spend more time in the business and then i was at a point where i was like okay i'm not far away now from earning almost the same as what i would in a teaching job so let's make the jump and go for it and see what happens and if it doesn't work i can go back to teaching it's always going to be there i have that qualification i'm a qualified teacher with a lot of experience so did you always want to be an entrepreneur and run your own business um I think, uh, yeah, there's always been in the back of my mind that I would always like to be my own boss and have that freedom. Um, And I've always been, I think, quite an ambitious person. Um, But I would say until you actually do it, until until you're close to doing it, like it's you don't understand, I think, the kind of thought like I've gone through a lot of turmoil, I think, in the last six months and self-belief issues. I've never really kind of struggled with belief or confidence and doing it i there's been times when i thought is this going to work uh, is this going to provide for me and my family um and even with helping people even though i've had so much so many great results even then i'm like you know occasionally someone will have a month where they maintain or they don't lose as much as they would like and you think oh actually am i am i providing them with a good service and you have all these kind of questions to answer and but it's been the best thing I've ever done. It's allowed me to really kind of um, do what I want to do that I love, um, but kind of answer those questions. And so you've only been in business yeah. like seven months, seven yeah. and a bit. Yeah. Okay. And actually, only full time yeah. since April. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so I know for a fact that obviously you said that there was a point where you were before you took the plunge to full time, you were kind of yeah. almost making the same that you were as a teacher. Almost through yeah, your coaching. Yeah, not not far off. And I now know that you've been what, like it's been like four months since you've been full time. Yep. Pretty much just under. Yeah, about three and a half, yeah. Three and a half months. Yeah. And I now know for a fact that you're doing a lot more than that. And you know, you don't have to share oh, yeah. figures and things like that, but I know that your business is going very, very well. Yeah. And you're pretty much fully booked. Yeah, I am. Okay. Yeah. So you're kind of at capacity. And you're not doing, this is really interesting for any coaches and trainers out there. It's very interesting. You're not 
doing the traditional stuff. So you're not necessarily yeah. doing paid Facebook advertising. No. You're not doing paid Instagram no. promotions. No. You're not doing funnels. No. Uh, now, this is not to say that this stuff doesn't work. But what I want to illustrate for the moment is a really, really important thing. If you go back to what Adam has been saying about what works in terms of nutrition, it's the simple foundational yeah. principles mm. and the basics, if you like, yeah. in some ways. Yeah, yeah. It's the same with business. It strikes me with you. You have a very solid foundation, yeah. okay? And you have covered the basics really, really well, which is, I think, why you are being successful. In particular, you get really good results for your clients. And that's what that's how you started in business. It's just you started to understand this stuff. You've yeah, used yeah. it in your own life. You've had your own experience and journey yeah. with ups and downs. And then people started asking you for help because they could see the results you were yeah. getting. Those people then in turn started to get good results. And you weren't really making money out of it at that stage, okay? No, not really. And then, but you, you, you're built on this solid foundation of results and actually helping people and delivering value. Yep. And I think this is a really, really interesting thing because there's this kind of almost entitlement, I think, in the industry. If, you come, if you're a personal trainer or a coach, there's almost this sense of entitlement that because you have a business, because you are a coach, you should be successful. Yeah. You should be making $10,000 a month, <laughs> pounds a month. You should be making, creating a six-figure business as if that's the only thing that matters. Now, that's important. Money's important. Yeah. And I know from our time working together that one of the really important things for you was to be able to provide for your family, support yeah. your growing family, and replace the yeah. income you had with a secure good career as a, yeah. as a full-time teacher yeah but also and your wife you know was a full-time teacher yeah yeah she so yeah we've got another child coming end of november um we have a mortgage obviously and she wants to co go part-time while we have two children that are not school age and there's more pressure there again to kind of generate enough money to subsidize not only pay for the mortgage but cover my wife dropping her wage um, and that was never going to happen as a teacher as well so i had that was also part of the kind of kick it was kind of like, okay, well, if my wife's going to go part-time, I can't earn enough to to cover that amount. So our lifestyle will have to dramatically change. And maybe we're both not prepared for that. So I've got, I've got to do it somehow. And I've got to earn more money. And I so you had a real moment where you needed to take the leap, which is really, really yeah. cool. You had it was a clear moment where it was now or never, yeah. kind of do or die. But I think, you know, I want to kind of just really hammer this point yes. home. I think it's really, really interesting because... I talk a lot about getting the marketing and the messaging and the brand foundations right. And what I mean by that is basically being good at what you do, mm. getting really, really good results for people and having perhaps a slightly unique way of doing it uh, that's kind of like maybe hype-free as well. And yeah. I think you you tick lots of those boxes. So when you get go out there and offer your services, people naturally want to come and work with you, word spreads. And if you add in then the cool stuff like paid advertising mm. and funnels and strategies, yeah. then it can really help you grow and scale something but the thing is you don't start with that stuff you have to get the foundations right so that's just me like i want to i just want to keep ramming this point home to people because can i can i add something yeah um, please now obviously if you listen to this and um, you probably think me saying this is kind of our oh, ollie might have said uh, told me to say it i worked with ollie how long ago two months ago uh, i think so two yeah, or three about two months ago and i i would genuinely say that some of the recent success where now I, I've earned far more than I ever imagined I could in a month. Now, we're not talking like some magical six-figure business, but it's far more than I ever earned as a teacher. Um, I would say a lot of that has come from, I spent a day with Ollie, just one day, and it was just about that the basics. So really establishing who is my target market? Who am I talking to? Who am I trying to help? Because 
I can't. Ha- I'd love to be able to help everyone, but you can't. You, and there's there's bigger fishes out there that you'll ju- you'll just be drowned. You'll just be drowned in the noise. Um, and I think it really helped me to have clarity. Um, and I think what he's talking about in terms of being like just hammering the basics is so important. Um, I haven't got it all figured out. You know, I'm not where I want to be yet, but I'm definitely well on the way now. And I think having that clarity, I clearly know who I work with, who I can help, what their problems are, how to speak to them, how to attract them, uh, how to help them. And I think if you don't have a business that helps people and gets results, you can't, there's no point spending money. There's no point flooding your business with leads or um, flooding your business with new clients when you're not currently helping the ones you're working with. And I think actually, you know, I now understand that. And I, but I was very fortunate that I was in that place when I was with Ollie that I was getting results, and it was just then that next step, uh, and and just having a little bit more clarity and being very very clear on who to talk to and how to talk to them and the message. And I definitely, yeah, I I would fully recommend if you're not already working with Ollie and um, to get that clear picture so you know your steps forward to make progress. There is enough people, the market is not, whatever you believe, the market is not saturated. There is enough people out there that need help, that want help. Um, There is enough to go around for everyone. Um, You just need to find who you want to work with and how to help them. I think by 2025, these are UK government statistics, they're slightly out of date. By by 2025, I think it's like 47% of men and 36% of women in the UK will be obese, not yes. overweight, but obese. So yeah. when Adam says there are plenty of people to go around, yeah, yeah. if you're a nutrition nutrition coach, yeah. if you work in fat loss, if you're a personal trainer, there are lots and lots of clients out there. Thank you for saying what you said. I mean, yeah. the only reason I wanted to hammer that point home is really to say, save other coaches and trainers out there because there are lots of scam artists at the moment. Yeah. Just as there's lots of misinformation with health and fitness and weight loss and fat loss, there are lots of scam artists out there preying on personal trainers and coaches, selling them marketing quick fixes and hacks that don't work because they haven't got the foundational pieces yeah. right. But, so a- a- enough about that. What's your business called? Uh, it's called ARC, uh, Adam Reed Coaching. Um, so yeah, uh, and that actually, that name was helped develop by Ollie as well. Uh, so again, something else that's really helped because the name before just did not fit. Um, I, my original plans were actually to have uh, like a CrossFit gym, but all encompassing with nutrition. And it was called, Met- so the business originally was called MetaStrong. Um, with this idea of metabolic conditioning and strength training. Um, And then when I looked at the colours were like grey and black and red, the name was quite aggressive. Um, My target market is 35 to 55-year-old businesswomen or professional women or mums. It doesn't really strike a chord with them. There was a mismatch between that brand. definitely, yeah. It's a a good brand for a a different type of business. And, you know, if anyone wants to buy it, contact Adam. (laughs) I'm sure he'll give you a reasonable rate. So what's your business model? Um, how, what, do you, what do you mean? Sorry. Okay, so this is a question that kind of derails a lot of people, I think. When yeah. when I work with people, I send a questionnaire out and I ask about business models. Oh, so do you mean so, as so, in like face-to-face, online? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. is your business model online, you know, yeah. It's actually a mix. It's a mix of the two. Um, I've, I I personally, I actually prefer and I find that the result, the better results have been from those that are face-to-face because it allows that bit, that relationship. And I think a lot of this you know, personal training, nutrition, a lot of it is relationship based. And if you actually look at the research for people to be successful long term, you have to build three things, autonomy, mastery, relatedness. And it's a lot harder to do that online. It's not, I'm not saying it's not possible, 
Um, but it's something I've probably done less of. Um, but it is something that I would like to do more of to grow further. Um, so yeah, mainly face to face. But I have worked with I've worked with people in Thailand still from when I lived out there. Uh, a guy in Sweden somehow found me. Uh, a guy in Hong Kong. A woman in America this week actually uh, inquired. I love that. Yeah. So um, yeah, definitely. Like um, there is that mix. There is a bit of a hybrid approach, but mainly mainly face to face. Okay. So hybrid approach. So it's yeah. a hybrid business model. Face to face, like actual seeing people in a location and online. And what do you, where do you see it going? What's the split that you would be really comfortable with? Uh, um, I, I would, I still prefer, as I said, I think the results have been better from the face to face. Um, and I still think there's room for growth there um, in the area that I'm located. You know, I still see, you know, there's plenty of people and there's plenty of gyms nearby for me to re- recognize that there's more I can help. Um, but yes, the, the online and the distance aspect will have to grow, I think, for, for the business long term. So, you know, down the line, maybe 50-50, 60-40, um, definitely, I yeah. think, would, would have to be a better split. I think there's huge power now in this kind of digital world oh, definitely. to have actual face-to-face human interaction with yeah. people. I think it, it makes a huge difference, especially in coaching. And I know the holy grail is like, oh, you've got a purely online fitness business where you just... You lie on the beach with a cocktail in one <laughs> hand, your laptops in the other hand. You're making six figures, you know, yeah. traveling the world. For me, that has never been an attractive goal. Not, like, not just, me. Just, yeah, and, and I think there are definitely people who out, who, out yeah. there who want that. But I think that once you maybe test it out, one, you don't need a six-figure business to be able to achieve that. Mm-hmm. Two, you're probably unlikely to build one if that's mainly what you're doing. Because the guys I know out yeah. there who are touting the six-figure remote online fitness business um are the reality is different so they're working very hard very long hours in rented villas and uh the picture is different to perhaps what's being sold I, I think as well it has to has to be what you, you want out of life so i think one of the things we did but i've, I've previously done it anyway because i've um i've i've looked at two brain as well they like they do business mentorship mm. for crossfit gyms and i think one of the things they get you to do is look at your perfect day um, and that's what you're aspiring to and how much money you need for your perfect day and then work backwards from there. So a lot of people, I think, uh, kind of, they set their rates based on the local competition or they set their rates on what they see when you should be working towards setting your rates at where you want to be and what your perfect day looks like and, and your end goal. Um, and for me, that isn't sitting on a beach and traveling. Maybe when my kids have grown up and left home, but for now, I want to be where I am, so I'm close to family. I want to have the freedom to take them to school. I want to, as they grow up, have that freedom to go and watch them at whatever practice, ballet, whatever it is they do, whatever they like. And my wife to have the choice to work full-time or part-time or not at all. Um, And for me, that's my perfect day. Um, But I recognize to do that, I got to work bloody hard. And yes, I might have the freedom to drop them off to school and pick them up, but in between that's going to be a lot of work. Um, I love that word you've chosen to use, freedom. And I think it's a very, very powerful word. And I think it's a misunderstood word because it's a it's a personal definition again. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what does freedom mean to you? And for some people, you know, it's a powerful idea. And if freedom is traveling the world and running a purely online business, that's awesome. And I'm a, a huge fan of that. However, I just think we need to individualize these definitions yeah. of freedom. And I think that's lovely, you know, like being able to drop your kids off at school. Yeah. Your wife can have the choice whether she goes back to work part time or not. And also just to kind of live your own definition of success, which we will come back to later. So that's cool. Thank you for sharing that. So what were the biggest roadblocks for you, though? Because you took the plunge from safe career. Yeah. 
you know, going into leadership and teaching, 10-year career you've been in teaching for. Yeah. What were the biggest roadblocks? Do you know, one of the hardest things for me um, that I still, I still work in on a daily is going from being a teacher, same as a student, working to a bell. So you go in at X time, you have staff meeting at set time, you have lesson one at set hour, breaks, like everything's set. You have this set routine and I always holiday, love holidays, but I'm not the kind of person who likes to just lie down and do nothing. And I find that quite hard and frustrating. I love exercise as well. Um, so I want to, you know, it, by the end of the holiday, it's like, right, now I'm back to my routine. And I guess we're all kind of ingrained with this thing about routine and, and starting my own business and then dictating my own hours. I think initially the first roadblock was Jesus, I've got all this time. Like, how do I, how do I, what do I do? When what do I do, I do with all this time? Yeah, and what do you prioritize? And mm. being very focused and sorry to go back to it again, I think having that day with you really helped me be clear on where I want to go again, what I need to do that's going to get me there. And I think having clarity is is quite important. So basically a clarity on what you're trying to achieve, but yes. like, also a roadmap, yeah. like a plan of action. Yeah, definitely. And I think then given having that focus to be able to go, right, this is how my day's structured. Um, and, and you maybe then, like everyone works differently. And for me, I need to go, right, I need to set this time here for this, this time here for this, and this time here for this. And I've got that structure. And not everyone needs that kind of structure, but I felt like I, I felt a little bit lost at the start, a bit like, oh. It's a huge change. Yeah, it's yeah. It's a huge change of lifestyle. Yeah. And as you say, routine. Um, so how, I think you've answered it partly, but how yeah. did you overcome the, the, those roadblocks? Apart from the, the day we spent yeah. together where we, ha- we unpacked clarity and we put together a plan of action and specific mm-hmm. stuff. But h- how else did you overcome those roadblocks? It was just about just uh, managing my time better and allotting time slots to tasks. So I was like, okay, so producing a social media post takes me this length of time. I'm going to put this here. Uh, The nutrition course that I'm completing takes this amount of time. This is when the webinar is. So this is that slot and and blocking out that time for those tasks and then allowing then free time to go on my calendar for people to book in consultations. Um, So you basically structured your day because you're faced with like sort of eight to 12 hours, let's say, depending on how hard you work and how long hours you work. You structured your day because it's very easy for humans to fritter away that time. Uh, You structured it. You've kind of reverse engineered it from here's the shit I need to get done that's important to move my business forwards or achieve X, Y, Z or get the nutritional qualification I'm working on at the moment finished. So I'm going to make sure that that gets done in a day and then I'll build the other stuff in around that. Definitely, yeah. Okay, Yeah, that's exactly it. And like recently I found... Another thing that I'm finding difficult, but I'm starting to get better with, is giving myself a break uh, and switching off. And again, we talked about that a lot. And mm-hmm. early on, I was constantly work, 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 work. Like, I want to develop this. This needs to be done. Like, but actually, I was, I already was achieving results. There, there's already a good service there. And yes, everything I'm doing is going to better that service. And that's that's definitely something I need to do. But it wasn't a, it wasn't that important for growing the business. It, it's important for making it better and improving the service. But you know, I had a break last week and I felt great. I, I turned my phone off. I didn't look at it for days, and and now I'm starting to recognise. Okay, that's important. That needs to get done by this time. But actually, that can wait. I'll get it done. It will happen. But I don't have to put pressure on myself. I think a lot of times, yes, you know, certainly as business owners, entrepreneurs, 
we we fill time um, doing the things we think we should be doing or that other people tell us we should be doing rather than actually prioritizing the big rocks yeah. that we have to get done to, yeah. to hit our goals. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. That That's hit the nail in the head. So how's business going? Yeah, brilliant. Um, I, I, could, I couldn't be happier. Um, this last month, um, I, I think I set, set myself a target of maybe 12 months to get to the target I'm at now and three, four months I hit it. You mean um, financial target? Financial target, that is. But, I've now got um, free coaches that are taking on clients because I'm, I'm, I'm not, at the moment, I'm not taking on anyone else. I have 20 clients that I said right from the get-go that for me to give them good quality service and to be able to provide them with the support they need, I couldn't really give more time. Like I couldn't take on any more than that. I could, but I don't think I would be able to give them what they what they need in terms of support. So you're, you're keeping the quality, you know, where you want it to be. Yeah. You're in a dream situation if for a lot of people in the sense that you are fully booked yeah. you personally are what you have defined as capacity for yourself yes. in order to deliver a quality service yeah. and you actually have a waiting list yeah or potentially you would have a waiting list if people want to work yeah. only with you yes or they can go with the coaches that are working with you to help deliver your program and yeah. your service I, th I think this is the the there's probably another roadblock coming because i've had people recently come to me and said i want to work with you um and i think i've been tempted to go okay then yes when actually can't say no yeah oh. yeah just saying no and saying sorry you know here's a waiting list and actually that would probably make it more appealing to to actually work with me um and also and i know that you you have mixed feelings about this you need to charge more Yes. for your services yeah. personally for people to work with you because not because you're trying to punch above your weight mm -hmm. not because you're trying to use price to sh to pretend you're some expert that yeah, you're not yeah. physically because you're working with as many people as you can yeah. before you damage your own health or deliver yeah. a shit service yeah yeah and so the thing is, is this is this is the time that you should actually look at charging more mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean you have to go from x yes. to yeah ten thousand pounds a month you know like yeah, yeah. a month to work with me you don't have to make a massive dramatic yeah. leap but you should step because you know you want to keep delivering quality service to people yeah and frankly you're in demand and you can't yeah your demand is outstripping your supply which is Definitely. the business basics yeah yeah so you're in a really good position so i have actually like the last i think a couple of weeks ago introduced a new service or a new level of service which is again higher price point um but with that try to provide more value um or more support um more accountability and really interesting uh since introducing that everyone i've spoke to has actually gone for that it's yeah it's been remarkable like literally i spoke to my other coaches and we discussed it and they were like oh i'm not sure anyone would go for it like um you know it's quite a big jump in price and you're only offering a little bit more. And I was like, yes, but there's more support. There's more accountability. There's more, like, we'll see. And everyone gets results as well. And I think, yeah. you know, I, I'm highlighting this specific stuff because I want people to see that this is how you build a coaching business. Yeah. These are the sort of things that it really, truly, a business works on is one, you've got a great product. Yeah. Two, you deliver results. So you've got happy clients. Three, you're in demand. Mm. Yeah, okay. So I think, I think people get it now. Um, so you're in a good position. What's the vision? Like, so, in nutshell, uh, you know, long term, um, I don't know how long, I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure how long this will take. I'd like to say 12 months, 12 to 18 months. I want to have my own facility. 
I want to have a facility that covers all aspects. I want to have a gym that delivers PT, that delivers small group classes, but most importantly has consultation rooms for nutrition coaching and lifestyle coaching because there are people out there that probably want to lose fat but shouldn't be. And what I mean by that is they still have unhealthy relationships with food um, and that needs to be addressed before trying to lose fat for some people. Now, I try and encompass both. So I try to help people get what they want whilst addressing their mentality, whilst addressing their unhealthy relationships with food, with their misunderstandings. Um, but there are some that maybe they need to address that first. And I think I'd love to have a facility that has all of that in one place. Because um, at the moment I work out of a gym, I do PT for that gym, but you know, I take a small percent, I only take a small amount of that. And, you know, maybe some of the ways that I would work maybe be slightly different perhaps. And yeah, I'd love to have this facility that helps people with whatever it is related to fat loss um, and encompasses lifestyle, diet, nutrition, training, the whole thing. What do you hate about the health and fitness industry that you feel you want to like fight back against? What is, what's really broken and you want to kind of these, show there's a better way? Uh, these just the, the myths, just the, the scam artists, these people that are... Um, but again, I talked about this earlier, like some people it's not on purpose. Some people, it, you know, they have good intentions. But it's funny, Martin McDonald talks about this quite a lot. So for those that don't know him, he's super knowledgeable. He's Mr. Evidence-Based. Yes, he is Mr. <laughs> Evidence-Based. And he talks about this a lot. And it's it's not okay to be misguided. It's not okay to be ignorant. Like Not if you're in a position of responsibility where yeah. you are leading and guiding other people. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the key. Like people should not be given advice if they don't know factually what whether that's correct or not. Like you shouldn't be telling people. I, I remember before, when I first came home, I was going to a pure gym um, um, just to do my own training before teaching in the mornings. Um, and next to me, there'd be this PT every morning talking to his clients about nutrition advice and what he was telling them. I was just like shaking my head in disbelief. And I just wanted to go over and say, that's wrong. What you're telling this person is wrong. Like it's, it's not correct. And they're going to have this, you know, relationship with food that they can't correct. Like, there's a, there's a couple of girls, actually, I know. I, I can't name names because uh, it could cause arguments oh. um, at home. So a couple of girls, they've gone to see a PT. The girl, the PT that they've seen is a bikini competitor. Very, very lean, but clearly has an unhealthy relationship herself with food. And it's now being passed on to her clients. So these girls have a food list. What people also need to understand is you cannot prescribe food unless you are a registered dietitian. So I would never say to someone, eat this. This is your breakfast, this is lunch, this is dinner. But these girls have a set list of food only they can eat. So if they get results, which they will because they're in a massive deficit, they're barely allowed to eat anything. And anything that's on this list is very, very low calorie. So without recognizing it, they're on a very low calorie diet and they're going to lose fat. But they're going to then if they stop with this PT, they're going to probably revert back to their old eating habits because it's not sustainable long term. They're then going to like have this relationship where they've gained weight again because they've reintroduced foods they used to like or they've reverted back to a diet they used to eat. They've not learned about nutrition. They've not understood how they've achieved results. And they're then going to have a bad relationship with those foods. Because so, they're going to feel crap about themselves yeah, because they've gained weight. They've regained weight and it's because they've reintroduced these foods that they weren't allowed. 
um, when actually all foods can be encompassed within uh, a fat loss diet, within your diet. So they've basically, they're not allowed any carbs at all, none at all. Like in terms of your kind of starchy carbs, pasta, rice, uh, potatoes, uh, bread, etc. So when they reintroduce them and they gain weight, because they will gain weight because they will through water anyway. So their scale weight will jump up because they're going to hold on to water. They're going to go, oh, it's carbs that make me fat. I shouldn't eat carbs. And they're going to be the next group of people that go, oh, carbs are bad. Um, and they'll tell their friends. And, it, you know, I just, I have a real issue with people giving, I don't know whether it's unsolicited, uneducated advice. Um, and fads and quick fixes, though, juice diets, um, boom bod, like, you're not, it's not helping people. It's not genuinely helping people. I think with the figure competition side of things, yeah, I would like to mention a couple of things here. One is hormonal damage, oh, long-term yeah. hormonal damage for women getting down to single digit, if they can, body mm -hmm. fat percentage, and the fact that their menstrual cycle is going to stop. Yeah, that's not a good thing, by the way. If your menstrual cycle stops, I've heard PTs say that that's okay. It is not okay. If your menstrual cycle stops, there is a problem. And actually, by tracking your menstrual cycle, you can see your overall health. There should be a fluctuation of a couple of days. This is another thing as well. So as I said, I focus on helping women. So I, I try to look at female health as much as possible because I want to give the best possible. What do you mean? It's not just about aesthetics. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. But a lot of women as well think that the cycle should be 28 days. And actually, it's not. It's between 21 and 35. If your cycle is less than 21 days, more than 35, or it stops, then you need to look at your health, you need to look at your diet, your exercise, um, and address that. Um, and tracking your cycle can make a big difference. And actually throughout your cycle, you should adapt your dietary approach and your training approaches because hormone levels, etc. lots of things change throughout your cycle. And I'm sure I'm gonna get flack for saying this, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> I, I, I haven't seen many figure competitors and i would say men and women i'm not exclusively singling out women here by any stretch of the imagination who i think look healthy who i think look good whatever that may be yeah uh, i i think that a lot of these people look like their health has taken a back seat uh whilst they focus on aesthetics and i don't think i mean i, I talk about building true health yeah, from yeah. the inside out and um, so for me, yeah, I just, you don't need to put yourself in that state, however personal choice. Mm -hmm. And as one of my favorite quotes is, everyone has opinions of like assholes, everyone has one. <laughs> so that's just my opinion. Yeah. But um, I, 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 I would uh, say like uh, the research again points to a lot of bikini competitors, a lot of competitors getting down to that body fat percentage have unhealthy relationships with food or develop eating disorders. It's very, very common. Thank you um, for mentioning that. Yeah. That's the second thing I wanted to say is that the only people I know men who've gone down to single digit body fat percentage, mm -hmm. around maybe five, six percent, have given themselves long term eating disorders. Yeah, there's just there's that there's a lot of damage that can be had. Um and I'm you know, I'm not a competitor, so it's hard for me to speak because I don't have personal experience. Um but I all I can say is from the, the research out there, it shows that it is common and it is prevalent for people to be in those positions have eating disorders. Um, if that's what you want to do, great. Personal choice. Yeah, personal choice. But And more power to you as well. Yeah, exactly. And it, to be fair, you know, I have to take my hat off and I have to respect the discipline yeah. that it takes to get there. Um, God, yeah. It's like, amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's incredible. Um, and if you get there, fantastic like that's that's take that's a big achievement like it's tough but don't think you're going to have um 
you know, like it's not necessarily going to be enjoyable for your average person in terms of yeah. lifestyle, oh, yeah. socializing, how hungry you feel. I've spent time with people who are getting stripping down to quite low body fat, you know, single digit body fat percentage men. And I remember spending like on one occasion being in, I think it was a Costa or a Cafe Nero. And these guys, like people were leaving like little bits of latte. People were leaving like the corner of cho <laughs> chocolate brownies, you know, and these guys were just, they were looking around yeah. at this food and you could just, there's this tension. <laughs> you can see they just wanted to eat it, but they were like, so they were so uh, such a deficit, a calorie deficit. I think that- I think, yeah, it becomes all consuming and you're just it, so it, it, deprived. It, exactly. And then they were, you know, there are all sorts of sophisticated techniques about chewing certain types of like chewing gum, like certain low calorie hot, oh, it's just crazy stuff. And like for me, because that's not my world. And I, full respect to the people who have achieved this. I'm not having a go at anybody. As we said, personal choice. Just do what you 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 want. However, don't don't necessarily try and say it's healthy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, respect to these people for the discipline it takes. Let, let's just say yeah, that. Yeah, and if that's what floats your boat, if that's something you need to do in your life, just make sure, I think, that you understand the good side and the bad side. Look at the evidence. Look at the things Adam was talking about, like perhaps some of the long-term effects. There's um there's a couple of really good people actually um I would recommend obviously bikini competitor bodybuilding's not my world um and actually if someone came to me I'd probably point them in the direction of someone else um I I could help you um I understand how it works and you just don't really want to it's just, yeah it's just not something I I I want to promote I like but there are great people out there so um a Scottish lady um who has been a competitor and she is now promoting a a more body positive approach because um, she talks a lot about disordered eating and stuff from doing it and she got very, like very very lean mm. uh, Amelia Thompson I don't know her personally I've never met her um, have no link to her whatsoever but I, I do read her stuff um, I do follow her on Instagram on Instagram yeah Amelia Thompson I think she's a PhD as well actually so again she's very evidence based um, in terms of her, her approach so I recommend her if you're a female looking at wanting to compete um, also, for guys, Eric Helms and uh, Lane Norton. Um, Lane Norton, actually, really, really interesting. His first competition, I believe he talked about this a little while ago. He was poor. He was a student. Not poor, but he, ha he, he didn't have as much, you know, disposable income. So a lot of these bodybuilders kind of would refrain from any processed foods because it would be harder to adhere to long term to be in that calorie deficit. Um Actually, Lane Norton got very, very lean. It was really successful uh, bodybuilder. And because he didn't have very much money, he would be eating food considered, you know, unhealthy, less nutritious, and still got very lean because he understood. He's again, he's a PhD. He would understand that calorie balance was the key. Um, so if you can't, if that's what, if that's the world you're in or you're interested in, like they're really cool. Eric Helms. Uh, he uses an approach that I find really interesting, which is um, intermittent, uh, like calorie restriction. So he has two days at maintenance, uh, cl so closer to competition, two days at maintenance, one day severe deficit, almost like a, an intermittent fast. Um, and that's proved to be very successful with the people he works with. There's no kind of evidence to support that yet, but again, he's an evidence-based practitioner and he's in great shape. So if you want to explore this this kind of world, then uh, I think the point is educate yourself, oh, do your research. And th th there's, there's some people out there, one of whom I, I particularly respect, I have a lot of respect for, who has experimented with, you know, kind of manipulating body fat very successfully. 
really cool guy, very well educated, and um, those names have come up in conversations with him. And and I think that if you do your research and you go into things with your eyes open, as long as you're doing it for the right reasons and you're not kind of uh, manipulated by the media, then I think, um, you know, as, as we said earlier, more power to you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you go back to six months ago, you're about yeah. to take the plunge into starting your own business. Yep. What would you say to someone who's in that position six months ago and they're like, can I do this? Do I, can I get good enough? Or, you know, they don't, they're maybe struggling with the sort of self-belief side of things. What advice... Let's let's just take it for granted that they know their stuff and they're good at what they do and they yep. can get good results for people. Uh, what would you say to them, like when they're umming and ahhing, should I start my own business or should I stay in a safe career? From your personal experience, what advice would you give them? Do it. Just just take the plunge and do it because the only way you're ever going to find out whether it's something that's going to take off for you is by doing it, is by taking that step. And I'm pretty sure whatever career you're in, you can go back to, like. Plan, like, make sure you're well planned. Make sure you have a plan. And if things don't work, you have a plan. Um, so for me, it's pretty. it was pretty simple as a teacher. Um, I was going to give myself a set amount of time, six months to hit a certain, uh, like, income, like, within the business. It's already there. So I'm happy with that. And then next six months, if I'm not at those points, then it might, I already had a plan that I was going to register as a supply teacher to supplement my income. So I had a kind of strategy to make sure that I was earning enough to cover my mortgage and everything I needed to. Um, I'm now at a point where I don't need to consider that, which is great. So now it's now making this consistent. But I think make sure you're, you have a plan. You know how long you can sustain um, X amount of income or, or whatever it is you need um, and make sure that you you kind of have an exit strategy as well if you have to. But I think if you have a career, you have qualifications, you'll be employed, you'll get a job um, and you can always go back to that and don't kind of feel, you know, as a failure because the only way for you to learn and keep making step forwards is to make mistakes and I've made plenty of them uh, in the last six months. I, I absolutely love that advice because... I think there's a there's a, an idea in the kind of entrepreneurial world. Yeah. We, there's a lot of hype out there again. A lot of people selling success, mm. and it's you know always about take the big leap, you know go all in, you know be fully committed, yeah, burn yeah. your bridges, and things like that. Yeah. That's not always it's not always the best approach. And I like the fact that you highlighted a transition. Yeah. So you had a game plan for how you could bring in income and transition out of teaching yeah. and transition into the business full-time. And I think that's very, very sensible is that you can hedge your bets. And at the end of the day, ultimately, businesses have to make money. They need to make a profit so they can exist. Otherwise, you're yeah. you are, you're dead in the water, let's yeah. say. Uh, and so I think that it, you need to be able to test the idea, mm. make sure it works. Will people buy it? And also, then you need to understand that a lot of people have this pie in the sky kind of ideas of I'll write a book and send ten, sell 10 million copies <laughs> or I'll set up my own online business yeah. and I'll be making 10K a month, whatever it may be. It takes a while. It takes hard work. And so if you have a way to transition out, I know you're impatient. You want to do your own thing. But if you can transition out and get to the point where you no longer need the old career because you're making enough money or the same money or you've tested the idea and the new thing, cool, make the leap, go all in, yeah. go fully committed. But again just you know uh, I, th I think you explained it better than i just well I'm, yeah definitely. just because i listened to you yeah, and I, yeah. I, I, but also the other thing i would say is tim ferris talks about this and i love tim ferris well, you might have mixed feelings about him but he's he's a genius and he's talked about fear setting i think he talks about it in the four hour work week fear setting 
Okay, which is basically what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. And you described that as well. You know, like, okay, so I'm a teacher. I'm going to take the plunge. I'm going to set up my own business. I've got targets. I've got a plan of action. But like, literally, what's the worst that could happen? If I've got to pay my mortgage, I've got to feed my family, I've got to look after us, I could go back to supply teacher. I could register as a supply yeah. teacher. I could go back to teaching, you know. And teachers cry, like, the other thing that's probably in my favour is schools are crying out for teachers, especially experienced good teachers. teachers. And I have a good reputation as a teacher. So I, I was quite fortunate and I've never burnt bridges with people. Um, yeah. I've always kind of left on good terms and had, you know, honest upfront discussions. So what's the worst that could happen? You could have gone back to teaching. And yeah. like, thankfully, you have hit your targets, you, well, exceeded your targets, mm. let's say, and you're doing really, really well. But I think it's important. To, this fear setting exercise can be really, really useful. Like what's the worst that could happen? It's usually not as bad as you think. Yeah, yeah. And there are ways that you can get back to where you were at least. Yeah. Um, and so why not risk it? Why not take the plunge and try it as long as you've got your eyes open? I think having my wife is was amazing, incredibly helpful. Um, I would have jumped at Christmas. Um, I was that I was impatient. I was I was and I can be sometimes uh, just make rash decisions or decisions very quickly. And I was like, I know right. about those. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, right, I'm ready to go. Like and she was like, wait, like you're not making enough yet. Um, and also, you know, you don't want to leave a bad taste because in case you need to go back into teaching, have the conversation with the school, like, you know, plan, like plan it. Uh, make sure that they're you know you don't burn bridges and and she kind of she's she's kind of been someone who's leveled me out so this last month incredible like and i'm i come home excited like oh, like we've signed you know more people have joined like it's going like such and such has got amazing results my wife is always the one who's like brilliant but that's one month like it needs to happen next month in it like put the money aside like Keep it to one side, like keep going. You have to just keep pushing. The uh, divine feminine, the, the, yeah. the sober yeah, voice yeah. of reason. Oh, sometimes she, she's <laughs> definitely needed. <laughs> awesome. Um, okay, that's that, that's that's amazing. So one final question on this little piece that I want to ask you is that: Can you give like maybe in one sentence, one or two sentences? Mm -hmm. What's the single biggest piece of advice you'd give to that person? You know, in your position six months ago, should I make the leap? Shouldn't I? we're taking it for granted that they're good at what they do and they know their stuff and they can get results. Yep. What's the single biggest piece of advice you'd give them? Have a plan. Cool. Done. Simple. One sentence. So, Adam, I want to ask you, what is your personal definition of success? And I ask this because a lot of people out there are selling a traditional version of success, you know, have a Lamborghini, fly around in a private jet, kind of, uh, you know, lie on the beach in goodness yep. knows where. And I think that that's very outdated. And also it sort of creates a weird kind of pressure on people who feel they don't meet the the standard. So I'm really interested in individual definitions yeah, yeah. of success. So what's yours? Well, it's def definitely not cars. Uh, they've never interested me at all. In fact, I'm driving a Volkswagen Caddy van at the moment. So uh, yeah, it doesn't motivate me. I couldn't care less what I'm driving. So for me, success is being able to um, provide for my wife and children and family. Um, and what I mean by that is a roof over their head. And I, I don't mean a mansion or, you know, a particular size house, a roof over head in a, in a nice house that we all live comfortably in uh, to be able to kind of eat what we want when we want to be able to travel so that my children grow up having some of the experiences that I've been lucky enough to have to visit different countries and other cultures. Um, and as I said before, success for me is helping people. So Give it, getting results, uh, ultimately. I, 
the reason I'm doing this is because for me, I want to have purpose in my life and I want to help people to lose weight and learn how to keep it off. So that for me is going to be success that I'm getting results with clients and helping people. But ultimately also so that, as I said, my wife has the option to work or not or part time or whatever. So she has that that freedom. And for me, success is having being time rich and whatever that means in terms of wealth. It doesn't that's irrelevant to me. It's having the time. So being able to make those choices that I can choose to right, I'm going to take my child children to school today. I'm going to go and see their rehearsal, see them train, whatever it is. For me, that will be success, having that freedom. And it's interesting that you haven't actually mentioned money in that equation because obviously, you know, there's the understanding that you need money and financial resources to have those experiences, but you're Uh not necessarily fixating on a specific amount. Yep. Uh, Is is that right? Yeah, like obviously you can't have one without the other. And the, the business needs to make X amount of profit for me to live that lifestyle. And I know what that figure is. I know, I know how much I need to pay my mortgage, to pay the bills, to be able to have that freedom. But I also need to build a business that's not reliant upon me to be able to have that freedom. I need to, so I can't remember, it's a book I read called, I can't remember who it's by, uh, Built to Sell. Mm. So um, basically you're building a business that isn't relying upon you. So if someone says, um, I want to offer you X for your business, they can literally step in and it's step-by-step built processes, procedures, um, systems, policies, bang, off you go. They can run with it and it needs to be that so that when I have employees or coaches that work for me like they are, they know step by step. They follow the step by step process and they can work for me um, without kind of too much confusion or difficulty. So the book is Built to Sell, Creating a Business You Can Thrive, well that can thrive, sorry, without you, by John Warrillow. That I believe that's the one, yeah. Okay, cool. I and I'll stick so. that in the links uh, with the show yeah. notes. So. It's really interesting what you said there as well about systematizing mm. things because many people I've worked with over the years have wonderful things trapped in their head. And if something happens to them, that's it. Yeah, The world doesn't get to benefit from that knowledge, that purpose, that coaching. Yeah. People don't get the results. And also it's very, very hard if it just revolves around you as a one-man band to then start to teach other people how to do what you do. And so I think early on, if you can start to... Um, create procedures, systematize yeah. it, and a way of doing things and teach it to others, then you... Seems to be going well. Uh, one of the girls uh, started working with me, I'll mention her name, uh, Laura. She's amazing. No, knows her stuff about pre-postnatal. So for me, I like that because she has a specific interest. Mm. The, but her first person she worked with was a guy. He lost five kilos in his first month. Had he just given birth? so just over 10 pounds in his first month okay Um, awesome so like all through doing following the same kind of processes that i've I've kind of put in place so yeah hopefully it keeps going that way and you basically she obviously knew her stuff before she came to work with you yes but you have shaped the path let's say you've given her the system yes yeah yeah basically um i've kind of systemized how i work so i've tried to make it um step by step by step so you follow this step then this step then this step but allowed the freedom for people to have their own kind of personal stamp on it and that roadmap that blueprint is so important for people's journey because in in, in, particularly in terms of transformation whatever that may mean you know doesn't have to be physical transformation 
business transformation, emotional, yeah. many any type of transformation. It's vitally important that someone knows where they are, exactly where they are on the on the journey, and what the next step is, like where they're going on the next step, and also that they can see this path to get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's, it's incredibly important for people, it's, especially in times of change, because change is kind of like chaos, if that makes sense. Uh, okay, cool. So who who inspires you? You know, because you obviously inspire a lot of people, you inspire your clients. It could be anyone, it doesn't have to be Tony Robbins or Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I think a lot of these people are not the best role models yeah. when you dig into their characters and things like that. But who inspires you personally? Do you know what I find? You mentioned you're going to ask this question. I actually find it really tough to answer. Um, I would say to a certain extent, my dad has inspired me because of his work ethic. Um, I remember like growing up as uh, as a boy, I did, probably wasn't, he didn't come to my, I, I was quite a good footballer as a, as a teenager, as a, um, at a professional academy till I was 16 and so on. So. But my dad didn't really get to experience much of that because he was working, he worked a lot. Um, and at the weekends, my mum, my a bit of a slave driver, he would constantly, he'd still be working. He'd be working on the house. So he's he's a site manager, like a contracts manager. Uh, and he, but he's qualified. So he's pretty much good hands on. He can do pretty much a bit of everything. Um, so he would constantly be building the next extension, putting in the next kitchen, doing so. And just seeing him constantly working, if I'm honest, I'm crap with my hands. And seeing him and how good he is and how skilled he is but also the work ethic i think without him realizing it um he's instilled that in me but he's never ever spoke to me about it he's never ever said for you to be successful you need to work hard but just watching him and how successful he's been and and the life he's been able to give me and my family is i think probably been immeasurable so he's led by example. Yes. He didn't necessarily sit you down and give yeah. you the pep talk. Now, no, listen, son, listen, Adam. If you yeah, want to be successful, yeah. he just showed you by doing, yeah. by and actually walking his talk. And if you ever meet my dad, you'll know that it will never be by talking because he doesn't talk. Um, <laughs> so he just builds yeah, stuff. He's a man of few words. Um, That's cool. I love that. Yeah. That's a real world example. Yeah. And it's meaningful stuff. And um, it just reminds me, yesterday we went to Heaver Castle. Like I've got, you know, took two of, no, three of, three of my kids. How many have I got? <laughs> Four kids. Left one at home. <laughs> two. One of them's away. The other one's grown up. So it took two of the kids, two the, the two youngest ones, yeah. to Heaver Castle. And they, they had a dog show on. And there were various different displays, which were you know amusing. Yeah. And then there was one display where it was a guy who's a proper working shepherd. And he's got a couple of sheepdog. And they were herding these ducks, these Indian runner ducks around the ring. And it was really quite impressive. Yeah. And then my kids loved it. And they thought it was the best display. And it was. They were very well trained, these dogs. And afterwards, we saw the, the shepherd guy. I think he's called Chris Jupp. I think that's his name. And I think his dogs work in films and yeah. a few things like that. Anyway, he was filling up water con- a water container for his dogs. And it was a hot day. And we were getting an ice cream. Uh, and he came up. My little boy said, that was a really good show. I loved the way, you know, your yeah. dogs are so clever. And this guy, this shepherd said to my son, you know, said, oh, thank you so much. And he, you know, a little bit of small talk. And then he said, um, my dad told me when I was young that whatever you do, if you do it to the best you can or as well as you can, you'll be successful. Mm. And I thought that was really, really nice because it doesn't matter what you yeah, do. Yeah. Okay. If you work really hard at it and you do your absolute best, you're probably going to be successful at that one thing. And I thought that was a really nice yeah sentiment or a really nice piece of advice to give a young person yeah and that you actually if you look at like sorry to go back to research again all the time but if you look at the stuff from carol dweck 
So um, being a teacher, um, and I was, I was really big into uh, my pedagogy and research behind that. Um, if you look at the research, it's behind people that are successful. So Carol, Carol, Carol Dweck did a lot of research into that. She found that there was a common denominator with everyone that's successful. So she looked at people in all lines of work. She looked at kids in schools. She looked at successful accountants, lawyers. Um, she looked at low successful people, said grit. The, the ability to persevere and and keep working hard, basically, to, to keep working, um, defined who was successful and who was not. Not IQ, not any of those kind of factors, but grit, determination, um, outlined who was going to be most successful in their chosen line of work. That's a very interesting point as well. And I think there are a lot of incredibly intelligent, gifted people, should yeah. I say, out there who perhaps don't achieve what they would like to in life because they don't have the work ethic. Whereas I know a lot of people who don't necessarily have those academic gifts, don't have like a particular genius, if that, you know, everyone has their genius in their own yes. way, but they're, they're not that perhaps highly intelligent in the traditional definition of that, yeah. you know, IQ, but they have an amazing work ethic and they they, they grind. Yeah. And I guess they have grit. Yeah. And I think almost all of them are incredibly successful. And the other thing I noticed about all of the successful people I know and I look up to is they work hard. They all work hard. None of them lead these kind of crazy, you know, beach lifestyles uh -huh. you know, on the laptop and stuff like that. They all work actually quite hard, generally doing something meaningful. And I, I think that's interesting to know. Is, is Carol Dweck, is she the mindset lady, open mindset versus closed mindset? Uh, yes. Yes, she is. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. that's where the education part comes from. So yeah. the, the international school I worked at in, um, in Thailand, British school, uh, the primary school in early years, they look, they look at, they looked at that research and how actually um, the brain isn't fixed. Like you, you can improve knowledge. Neoplasticity. Like, yes, ex yeah. exactly. And but you have to develop that open mindset um, and being, you know, open-minded to, to kind of all kind of aspects. That is something I would encourage anyone who wants to kind of uh, read further into any of these areas. One yeah. one that's worth reading about is open mindset versus closed mindset and what yeah. those definitions mean. Because mindset, I think, is foundational, whether you are a client of Adams who's wanting to lose fat, mm. that, you know, whether you're someone who wants to take the plunge and set up their own business, mm. become Definitely, a coach, yeah. you know, um, someone who wants to improve uh, any aspect of their life. Yeah. Mindset is absolutely vital and mindset being, you know, the beliefs and kind of uh, kind of what you believe to be true about yourself, your kind of beliefs and ideologies. Uh, I've forgotten the definition I usually <laughs> give, but anyway. Uh, so dig into that work by Carol Dweck. It is fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so how how's so you're a coach. Yep. You're a nutrition coach as yep. well. You're not a nutritionist, uh, or are you? No, I I'd be a uh, I'm hopefully will be a certified nutritionist. Uh, by the turn of the year. By okay, the cool. Year. But even as a certified nutritionist, you're not a late. Uh, you, you said earlier you can't you can't prescribe. Yes. Okay. So so there are. I think there are some people out here that are kind of on the borderline where they should be in terms of their scope of practice. So you can't actually write a diet program for someone no. specifying the exact meals they should be yeah. eating and they should be. Yeah. So so you're kind of a, you would class yourself as a nutrition coach. Yes, exactly. Or a coach. Or a coach, or a coach, so, just so, a coach. Yeah. yeah, to be honest, a lot of the work we do with people is based around lifestyle. Like, yeah. you know, you could talk about diet as much as you like, but there's a lot of other factors to address that impact those eating behaviours. Sleep, Sleep, emotions. massive, yeah, stress, emotions. Stress. You know, if, if you don't address those, you're kind of pissing in the wind. Uh, 
to, to a certain extent. As, a, as a originally said, calories in versus calories out is the most important factor, but it's not that simple. Mm. There are all these other factors in life that can impact behaviours. Now, before people jump on this and go, oh, that's why I'm not losing fat or why I can't lose fat because I'm stressed. Um, yes, you can lose weight. Um, calories in, calories out is still the determining factor, but it just makes it harder. Um, because your hormones play a role in appetite and and hung, you know, hunger and so on and so forth. So I think we're going yeah. to have to do a, a, a second podcast at some stage to kind of dig into some of that juicy stuff. But yeah. so basically, so you're a coach. Yeah. How has being a coach or a trainer, you know, because you uh-huh. train, you, you kind of CrossFit, yeah. tra- you know, you PT people, how's that affected your own health and fitness personally? Recently, um, mixed. In fact, at times mixed, like sometimes great. Like as I talked about scheduling my day earlier, I, I think that's that's key and vital. So I've put in, I've made sure that I've scheduled within my day um, at least an hour to train. Um, and I think that's been really key uh, and really important for my mental health. For me, I, I've recognised that exercise helps me clear my mind, de-stress. Um, but then there's been weeks where I've gone... Wow, like the the last month, as I said, has been highly successful, but that means I've had to work a lot harder. And actually, making that putting that time aside and prioritising it has been a lot tougher. So, yeah, I'd say in terms of exercise, up and down, been great weeks and not so great weeks. I think in terms of time for friends, not good enough. Like for my social, like my mental health, um, to to be more sociable with friends, still that's something I'm constantly working on. Um, I definitely don't put enough time aside for my friends and to have that time out. Mm. Um, I'm definitely getting better with my uh, wife and family and when I'm with them, phone off, computer aside. Um, occasionally I do, do do work, but that's if we've got nothing planned or you know if actually it's quiet and I just need to get a little bit done and my wife's like, look, just get on with some work. Like, we're not doing anything. But generally speaking, that's that's really good and I have I think I have a quite healthy balance now with family and work. But friends side, it's not where I want it to be. And I you know, I I do constantly feel guilty for, you know, my closest friend lives around the corner. I should be seeing him regularly and I don't. I've known him since I was like two years old and he's he's been there every aspect of my life and you know, sometimes I don't feel that I've given enough back to him recently. So that's something to work on, the kind of uh, yeah, the yeah. social side of things and just Definitely. making enough time to spend with outside your family, the people who are most yeah. important to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. And I, I asked that question mainly because I know there are a lot of coaches in the health and fitness industry who work hard, they work long hours, they kind of, you know, survive on coffee and protein bars. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny, it's like it's real catch-22. They work in the health and fitness industry focusing on other people and helping them improve their health mm-hmm. uh, but their health often gets damaged as a result of it because it's stressful yeah a lot of people are not making very much money um a lot of people are just working long hours as i said and i know that when i was back in my full-time personal training days you know six seven years ago you know i was getting up and doing 6 a.m boot camps uh and then doing evening clients as well and it was long hours i wasn't seeing my family very much and my own training like did suffer for a while and I think my health definitely suffered for a while um, and which is why you know led to me kind of making making a shift so I think it's just an important thing to highlight um, running a fitness business or a nutrition business yeah, is, yeah. is different to just loving nutrition uh, and I think for one thing for me is I used to run a clothing company and I loved I was like my obsession and my passion was health and fitness movement 
And then when I made health and fitness a movement my full-time business, it was very different. And I started to have to make money out of it. And and it kind of, for a while, it killed my passion a little I, bit. I, do you know what? I think what you've just said uh, is a really good point. Because when I initially had that plan, when we went to New Zealand, I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go and open a gym. I had this dream in my head that, yes, obviously I wanted to help people and that was the main purpose and and money and have freedom. But I also had this picture in my head, oh, I'm going to be training every day. Like, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to be learning. I'm going to teach myself how to do, um, like I could do a muscle up anyway, but I mean, I, I you know, I was going to be much fitter. I Potentially I'd, I'd do better in the open and like I'd have all this time to train and, oh, and work on my, uh, mobility issues uh, and so on and so forth. My training, that I definitely don't spend more time training, uh, probably slightly less than I did previously. And it's really hard yeah. to get that balance. Oh, I think definitely. So there's someone I like in the industry and people have mixed feelings about him. I really like Ido Portal because he's just brought something interesting into the kind of industry in terms of movement. Um, but when you look at people who are that level, you know, they're investing like four to plus hours a day, every day, training, moving, mobilizing it's, it's like a full-time job definitely and that's yeah, yeah. not working that's not earning money that's, that's not and that's definitely not how much i spend <laughs> so, so i think sometimes we have this idea that we uh, you know yeah we're going to be moving and like just yeah, training yeah. our bodies <laughs> and then see the odd client on yeah. the side and it's all going to be yeah, awesome it's more like three hours a week <laughs> so speaking of clients um one thing i try to do with every guest i interview is obviously you know that um Brand Lighthouse, with the kind of the branding story-based agency I have, we talk a lot about story. We talk about the hero's journey, and we talk about the, using the elements and the structure of story. And so we always talk about something called lighting the beacons, which is creating like the path, the pathway, the roadmap for people to get results. And I want people who, to, who listen to this podcast in particular, whoever they are, to take something away that's really valuable. And I think there's lots of stuff from what you've been talking about that's going to be valuable. But I want people to have some simple, specific, actionable steps that they can go and use for free to get started, get results, to kickstart their journey. Mm -hmm. And obviously, we're talking about fat loss, and we're talking about fat loss for women in particular. Mm -hmm. So for a woman out there listening to this who's around the age of 40, uh, who's maybe married, professional woman, as you said, who wants to lose weight... And who's tried lots of different things, you know, like Weight Watchers, meal replacement shakes, um, fad exercise diets, you know, maybe paleo. Um, you know, they've tried things and they've struggled. They've kind of yo-yoed and they've got some results and then it's come back again with a bit of interest. For that type of typical person, can you break down like a little simple pathway yep. or a framework, like three to five steps that you would get them to follow? That if they took this away and started following these steps today they'd start to get results. Yeah, definitely. To lose fat. Yeah, it, it, no problem at all. So uh, the first thing I would get them to do is look at their home environment and their work environment and look at where the highly calorific um, and tasty hyper palatable foods are kept. More often than not, they're kept like biscuit tin on the kitchen worktop. Um, and the first thing to get you to do is move them somewhere which is out of sight, out of reach. So if you ever look into it, uh, look into James Clear Atomic Habits. So how to break bad habits and build good ones. So that's the first thing to get you to do. So this will be incredibly successful. You would be like, you won't believe me, but you probably will lose the craving for certain things just by making it difficult to get hold of them. So what I mean by this is, so for example, one of my members that moved their biscuits 
to a shelf that she could no longer reach to the back of that shelf. So now she has to get a stall out, get up on the stall, open the cupboard, get to the back of that cupboard to get to it. For about three weeks, she never had a biscuit, which she would have every single day. Um, she would have more than one biscuit. Um, so have a look at your home and your work environment. See what is eye level. See what is on the sides. And if there are foods that are higher, cal like hyper palatable, so very tasty and highly calorific, move them. Put them outside, put them harder to reach. So you have to make a conscious effort and they become conscious decisions. So that's the first thing straight away. And that's easy. That's really simple to do. That's like called shaping the path and like yeah. behavioral change psychology. Yeah. It's just taking the, the obstacles out of the path so that it's easier, basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And the converse of that, so I'm going to keep this as one tip. Put all the stuff that's lower calorie um, that actually you still like. I'm not saying you have to eat bunches of kale, but put all the stuff that's lower calorie inside. So fruit, put the fruit bowl on the side. Put the, um, if you have some lower calorie snacks that you like, put them visible, put them somewhere you then go to. And then you straight away have swapped that. You're going to potentially see better results. Can you give a couple of examples apart from fruit, like lower yeah. calorie snacks? So straight away for me, berries are unbelievable. High fiber, low calorie and sweet as well. So berries would be the first thing that if you like them, have them. There are, for those that like convenience options and have their kind of favorites in terms of chocolate and crisps, there are alternatives out there. So one thing with my approach, it isn't that you can't eat crisps or can't eat chocolate. It's just making you aware and maybe small swaps. So uh, a swap for crisps, Pombears, Skips, really low calorie options. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, if, if you like crisps, there are low calorie, under 100 calorie bags out there that you can make small swaps with and make a big change. Um, Hartley's have a 10 calorie jelly pot. So a pot of jelly that's 10 calories, like it's next to nothing. If you like jelly, like something sweet, it's a better alternative. So straight away, just making those kind of small snacky swaps couldn't make a big difference. The second thing I would say, carry a water bottle with you everywhere you go and drink lots of water. Um, water has been shown if you drink about 500 mils a glass of water before every meal can suppress your appetite slightly so one it might mean you consume less during meal times but secondly it has a massive massive health implications as well as i've already stated we're nearly 60 percent water we're, we're all our bodily process require water um, so if you're not drinking enough you're not keeping that water flushing through the system, you're not optimizing how your body operates. Drink more water and you may suppress your appetite. It may suppress uh, feelings of hunger as well. So you don't snack at times when you normally do. So that's tip number two, drink more water, carry a bottle around with you as well as a strategy to make sure you do that. Um, so I have a, I don't know Ollie, whether Ollie's seen it, I've got a two and a half litre bottle. So like I know. an oil drum. Yeah, Sorry. so I my target is to drink that every day. If I haven't drunk it, I've not drunk enough water. Simple as that. So I can look at that throughout the day. Half through the day, have I drunk enough? No, drink. Um, there are other strategies you can do, but that's for another time. Um, so, yeah, so there's the first two. Next thing, protein intake. Um, now, I'm not, again, I've already mentioned this. If you are a vegan, if you prefer plant-based, I am not saying that you cannot have plant-based sources of protein, but increase your protein intake. So protein, when eaten, upregulates a hormone called CKK. This suppresses appetite and also protein takes longer to absorb and digest, so it makes you feel fuller for longer. Most people don't eat enough protein within their diet. Um, so by increasing your protein intake, you will probably find you feel fuller for longer, less likely to snack, 
And as I've already stated, protein is needed for every structure in the body. It is so important. Um, so make sure with every single meal, you're eating a portion of protein. A portion of protein is a minimum 20 grams of protein and looks about the size of your palm of your hand. So there's another one. Um, and the, I'll give you one more. So the last one, increase your veg, fruit and veg intake. So pretty simple. Everybody knows that fruit and veg is good for us. It's full of micronutrients. Great for health. Eat the rainbow, as, as they all say. But what you also, if you're looking to lose fat, vegetables are high in fiber, low in, extremely low in calories, um, and they're going to make you feel fuller for longer. The amount of volume you can eat of them um, and not really impact your calorie intake is making a massive effect. So again, increase your protein intake. Make sure you've got enough protein with every meal. Make sure you've got veg with every meal. Make sure you've got fruit with every meal. I don't know where this bad, like, myth has come that fruit is bad for you. Fructose. Yeah. Oh, it's just ridiculous. Again, I could go on and on about that. Um, but I tell you what, try and eat the amount of calories in a chocolate bar in strawberries. I think it's something like five pints of strawberries you'd have to eat to eat the same amount of calories and the same amount of sugar. Try eating that many like that many strawberries for starters. Um, I've, I don't think I've ever seen an obese person that just eats fruit. Um, so increase fruit, increase veg intake. It's full of fiber, which is going to make you feel fuller for longer. They're low calorie. I mean, uh, 100 grams of cucumber is like 10 calories. Celery, tomatoes, lettuce, spinach, like whatever veg you like, go and try different veg. Go and find veg that you do like and incorporate more into your diet there you go straight away if you implement those four things i can guarantee you'll see some very quick results so that's amazing i, I, I think that's a very simple set of principles or kind of guidelines people can take away to actually get results my challenge to you as a listener is <laughs> before you say oh but try that try those four things and let us know like send me a dm get in contact somehow with me or Adam and let us know if you tried them and if it made a difference. Because I guarantee that if you follow that advice and you put it into practice, it will work and you will see some changes. So Adam, if someone is wanted to work with you, mm -hmm. where can they find you? Okay, so you can find me on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram handle is at a.r.c underscore Adam Reed Coaching and Reed is R-E-I-D. I will put this in the show notes. I'll put a link yeah. to that. Uh, and then my Facebook is www.facebook.com forward slash Adam Reed Coaching. Uh, so Facebook, Instagram, website still under construction. So uh, that hopefully will be sorted very, very soon. Okay. And um, physically, where can someone come and find you if they want to drop into the gym, you know, yep. say hello. and uh, So CrossFit Amptil uh, in Amptil. Um, so what I operate out of that gym at the moment, have an office uh, upstairs. Um, so yeah, come in. Come and have a look. Come and have a look at the gym as well, if you like. Um, what's the best way to get in touch with you if someone wanted to, ha you know, had questions? If someone like, what, what's your actual program? Because obviously we know your business, we yeah. know the business model and stuff like that. Do you do like a, a ten-week program or a five-week? You know, what do you do? So the uh, the best way to probably get in touch is either through one of my social media accounts or via email. So my email account is adam at adamreedcoaching.co.uk. Um, so please feel free to email me any questions, uh, get in touch with me via social media. Um, the way I work is a 90 day program. Um, so it's called the ARC 90 day program. We help people lose weight, but learn how to keep it off for life. Um, and so you, you take control of your body. 
the way the 90 day works is it's split up into three phases. So the first 30 days, the first phase is all about the basics of nutrition, getting you to understand all that some of the things we've talked about, about protein, why it's important, how much you need, um, why you need carbohydrates and fats, uh, calories, that energy balance. Um, we talk about tracking as well and how you can track your, you're getting those results. The middle phase is the really important part. As I've talked about a couple of times now, the principle of fat loss is simple, calories in, calories out. However, our lifestyle has a big influence on this. So this middle phase is called the results phase and it's all about your lifestyle. There is no cookie cutter approach because everybody's different and it's about how can you, what actionable tips, what actionable steps can you put in place within your lifestyle to get the results you want? How can you improve your sleep? Uh, how can you reduce stress levels or what can you do about it? And then that last phase is all about that learning how to keep it off for life. It's called the maintenance phase. Um, so that last 30 days is learning what are the myths? How can you tell facts from fiction? And how can you kind of avoid being scammed ever again? Um, but it's also about how what does maintenance look like? How do you keep those results long term? Um, a lot of people actually finish the 90 days. They love being part of our group. We have a really, really interactive WhatsApp group now. Uh, every day people are on it. Um, we've got a Facebook great group that's full of resources. Because of the WhatsApp group, no one really interacts on it. They just use it for the resources. People tend to stay longer than the 90 days, and that's okay. It's, you know, it's whatever fits you. Uh, if you get results after 90 days, you feel you've learned enough and you can go away and get long-lasting, sustainable change, brilliant. If not, stay part of the group and get a little bit more education, continue to get support, really instill those habits because it's habits that will give you the long-term success. And can you talk about one more thing that I know you do really, really yeah. well, which is you 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 partner up sometimes with CrossFit boxes yeah. who are, are amazing at what they do, despite what we said earlier. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's some really good boxes out there. They get great results for their clients in terms of fitness and work capacity and what they do. Yeah. But sometimes they don't have the right nutritional resources in place and their clients, their members aren't getting the kind of the, the fat loss results that they want. Mm -hmm. You work with some of those people, is that right? Yeah, no, definitely. And that's, that's one of the reasons why uh, CrossFit Antil wanted me there. Um, they had nutritionists that were coming in and they did these challenges where it's no sugar, no caffeine, no this, no that. And they set these rules in place. And I don't work that way because actually if you tell someone not to do something, what are they going to do? Like if I said to you, don't look over your shoulder, you're probably going to look straight away. Um, it doesn't work. That's, that's not going to work long term. So... Yeah, I, I kind of sat down with the owner of CrossFit Antil. He said, look, I want a nutrition program. And I, I showed him what I did and that was it. Kind of went from there. But yeah, I've started going into other boxes because people are training. They're training hard. They train regularly, but their body shape's not changing because a lot of people out there still think that exercise is the key, but actually nutrition will play a bigger role. Uh, and it's much easier to reduce your calorie intake by a couple of hundred than increase your calorie intake by a couple of hundred. And we're talking about body composition yes. there. Yeah. yeah, so changing your body composition. Um, so yeah, I've, uh, I'm have i hoping, uh, working with uh, Archie at CrossFit Chichester, uh, that we- If you're listening, Archie, yeah, do it. <laughs> that we implement something with him. Um, it's been great working with him. So he's actually just jumped in as one of the members doing an awesome job. He's there. Uh, his goal actually was to gain size and muscle. So last time we spoke, he's gained a couple of kilos now. So 
he's on the right path. He's already uh, a big dude. Oh, strong. he's a massive dude. Yeah, yeah he's, he's one of the amazing. good CrossFit coaches. I I like him a lot. I've got a lot of time for him. He's a good yeah, guy, he seems actually. seems like a really cool guy. I I actually wanted to drop in last week when I was down on holiday, but my wife was like, "No, you're on holiday. No CrossFit. No yeah, work. No work." So so I didn't go down. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've teamed up with uh, another gym. It's not a CrossFit gym actually. It's a strength and conditioning gym called. Uh, called Tribe and we put together a 12 week program called the, they, they've called it the Tribe Transform but it's my 90 day nutrition program as part of it so they've you know they've got a good program there but they wanted something even more like you know complete so yeah working alongside them um, yeah there's a few things in the pipeline which are really exciting um, and basically just helping gyms have a, a better structured nutrition program to get their members the results so I work with a PT um, and he sent me quite a few of his uh, his members now, who because he doesn't have the time or he doesn't have the knowledge to give them what they need for nutrition. And, and also, I think some yeah. trainers, some personal trainers, just want to do movement. They want to yeah. do exercise. They want to do lift weights with clients. They want to teach yeah. them how to achieve physical goals, Definitely. performance goals. Yeah. They don't necessarily want to do the nutrition part. And also, a lot of personal trainers are not qualified to give out the advice they need to, even though they still do. Yes. Um, so Adam it's been an absolute pleasure to like chat to you this has been a really good conversation I think there's a lot of value in here for people um, I want to ask you I want to leave people with this if someone listening forgets absolutely everything <laughs> they only take one thing away one point away what do you want it to be? To be a critical thinker uh, to question everything and to make sure that what you're reading listening to taking on board and that includes what you've listened to from me challenge it be critical and challenge your own beliefs and what other people are saying uh, to make sure that you get the right advice for you ladies and gentlemen on that note that is it adam thank you so much thank you. i really genuinely really enjoyed it thank you Ollie. appreciate it catch up with you soon